Hello, friends, and welcome to The Interesting Hour. I'm your host, Justin Kupinoff, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Devesh Verma. Hey, everyone. Hey, hey. And today, we got Jacqueline Avedon on. We're doing planetary science, and it's going to be a long episode, so we're going to do this quick. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so this episode brought to you by Core Foundation. Check us out. Core Foundation, cor-foundation.org. Uh, Chuck Levins. Uh, and uh, just unbounded curiosity. Guys, this episode's pretty epic. i rather just let Jacqueline introduce herself to you. And yeah, we nerd it out hard. Yeah, I say we get right to it for this one. Let's just do it. Yeah. Marathon episode. Marathon. Sorry. Now. Now. One, two, three, four. And we're here with Jacqueline Avedon. Jacqueline, how's it going? Good, thanks. How about you? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. Justin, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Well, we don't care, Justin. We're talking about Jacqueline here. (laughs) I I will say something before we start up this whole thing that, yeah, we've had some good episodes. This isn't our first one we've recorded at this point, but I have to say, I have not seen Devesh so giddy for (laughs) any topic so far. Like... Seriously, like a little schoolgirl jumping up and down, waving his arms. Like, I hope you know how how much that he's excited that you're here, Jacqueline. No, no pressure. No I'm kidding. No, yeah, no pressure, Jacqueline. No, I'm. Uh, I, I like having my head in the stars. That's all. It's uh, a fascinating topic for me, and I every time I bring it up with people, they're just kind of like, "Really? What? Huh?" And I'm not even educated on the matter, so it's just like having someone here that's a little bit uh, more of an expert on these matters or. Uh, very helpful. So thanks for taking the time to be on the show. Sure. Thanks for having me. So let's start off with the typical introductions. Jacqueline, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, who you are and what you do and all that good jazz. Sure. So um, like Devesh said, my name is uh, Jacqueline Avdon. I work by day as a business analyst for an ed tech company, so having nothing to do with astronomy. Um, but, <laughs> but by night and on the sides, I do a lot of astronomy outreach and Basically, like you said, whenever you tell people about it, they think it's fascinating. They think it's really cool. And I just try to spread that around to tell more people about that, about it, help them get more interested in it. And I think it's especially interesting uh, living in New York City where it's so bright outside. You don't when you think of stargazing, you, know, you don't think of Times Square, or Manhattan or even the Bronx and out- outer borough, anything like that. Um, and I think that's one thing that makes it really exciting to do some stargazing and astronomy outreach in the city is that you really surprise people because people don't, they're not looking for it. They don't expect to be able to see anything in the night sky. So when you can point something out to someone on the street, they all get really excited and sort of shocked about it. Oh yeah, absolutely. There was a, just recently, I don't know if you can tell me this, but uh, I know there was like some planet alignment going on in February, like through January and February, like uh, some of the star, some of the planets in our solar system were aligned. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Or am I just talking yeah, BS? Yeah, no, definitely. Sometimes <laughs> it makes it makes for better viewing when they're sort of all at the same angle from wherever yeah. you yeah. are. I saw Earth. I saw yeah. like in the sky, like there was like a, a line of stars and I was just pointing to my brother. I, I pointed to him and I said to my brother, like, I think those are planets are like just aligned right now. That's a thing going on for like a month right now. And he was like, his mind was just blown. Yeah. <laughs> he was just oh, like, yeah. What? You what you what? Oh, he yeah, just no, he, he doesn't cool. sound like that. I mean, if, either if you're really, really good at math and, you know, plotting these things out, or if you get, you know, the, the, the cheater's way, just download an app yeah. <laughs> and, set, and set, set the time into the future. You can kind of uh, see where the planets will be on different days of the year. So if, if you, you know, have a light interest in it and want to go outside a certain night, you can sort of 
send the app into the future to let you know what would be the best night to go out and look. What's your uh, favorite stargazing app? Um, so my favorite one's actually probably for the computer more than for the phone. And it's the Starry Night. It's called Starry Night. Um, when, when the version I have is pro, it's called pro plus six, though I imagine they're on a higher number by now. <laughs> I love the um, Van Gogh reference too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. They might, they might make an app version. Um, but I, the one thing that's really cool about that program is that it's, first of all, it's so robust. I mean, an amateur would have a ton of fun using it. An expert could use it too. Um, but the two neat things on it is that if you take your laptop outside with you, it has a setting on the program called red light where it will essentially dim your computer screen and basically turn it a shade of red such that it's still bright enough that you can still see the screen ah. but the, the light's not blinding you mm. you know yeah. get, like if you're looking up at a night sky and suddenly a car headlight shines in your face it would take your eyes like 20 30 minutes to readjust yeah, so this definitely. is really sweet because it just turns it a shade of red and there's no adjustment time at all but it's still bright enough that you can see the screen that's really good, especially if you're doing like uh, astrophotography. I've done yeah. I've, I've done overnight for uh, photo shoots, just trying to capture the night sky. And I have a a, a red light uh, flashlight, just specific yep. for those shoots, just so it doesn't exactly. ruin the image. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and the other cool thing about it, um, and I definitely when I first got into physics, I did this all the time. It has a spaceship mode where you can basically be in a spaceship and fly around. <laughs> All right. And, now you've sold me. Now you've sold me. Not until now, but now you've sold me. And, uh, and the even better part is that they don't have a speed restriction on the spaceship mode. No way. So you can go, you know, get from earth to out of our galaxy in like 10 seconds or something yeah, like that. This, warp five. This, yeah. <laughs> this seems, yeah. uh, this seems pretty advanced stuff for what we're using right now. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, so how did you get into, you know, just astronomy? Sure. Yeah. So I was lucky when I was in high school, I had really great physics teachers. And I think that's, I think that's the place probably where most people get turned off from the subject. Mm -hmm. Um, they, most people I talked to, they hated their physics class. They hated their math class and that sort of, you know, put the kibosh in it for the rest mm. of their lives. Um, for me, I was lucky. It was the reverse. I always liked math and I adored physics and I loved my teachers in high school. And, um, one day in a high school physics class, I, we had a little activity to do during class, and I finished it, and I was kind of bored. I was a precocious student, so really? when, I, when, I, when I finished early, I was bored, and I asked them for something else to do. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Teacher, any yeah. more work? <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I did now, though, because it cha changed my life. And, um, You're the student that wanted homework for a summer break, weren't you? No, not not that far. <laughs> okay, I might oh, have been there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, uh, but he, uh, so I was kind of bored and he, he had an astronomy background. So he showed me a website called the astronomy picture of the day or APOD, APOD. It's still around. It's still really popular. And it's basically exactly what the name says. These, these two professors run it. And each day they post a really cool astronomy picture. Uh, now the website's so popular, it gets millions of views that most, most of the time it's website viewers that sent, take and send in the photos. Hmm. And they have they have to choose from thousands and thousands in order to pick one for each day. What's that website? Uh, uh, if you can give it to our listeners so they can go check it out. Sure. Yeah, it's called. If you Google astronomy picture of the day, it should be the first one that pops up. Cool. That's epic. Totally yeah. epic. Yeah, it's it's an amazing website. The guys that run it are great. And um, so my physics teacher had linked me to that website, and the picture of that day was this. There's a phenomena that the sun sort of 
a photographic phenomena you can do with the sun called, and an, I'm going to botch the pronunciation, but an, an, analema, I think is how you say it. An, I think it's A-N-A-L-E-M-M-A. Yeah, um, I'm not going to attempt that, but yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's basically a cool photography thing where if you take a picture of the sun at a certain time of the day for a consecutive period of time, uh, you get this really nice pattern in your picture. Um, and so my teacher showed me that picture, asked me what I thought it was. I had no idea. I tried to guess. I had no clue. I was Every guess was completely wrong. Um, guessing why the pattern changed in the picture? Yeah, guessing basically. why the pattern changed, how it got there, just everything and anything. Um, and then that, but I was so interested in it that that night I went on their website and they, so the other great thing about that site is they have an archive of every past picture they've shown. And with every picture, they have an explanation of what, what you actually are seeing in the picture. And so it's a great, you know, educational resource. And, uh, so that night I went back home and I looked through their entire archive. I mean, we're talking back <laughs> six, seven years. It was a late night for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And that was sort of the night, and that was junior year of high school, so that's the year you're sort of starting to think about colleges. Um, and that was sort of the night where at the next college guidance meeting, I was like, I'm going to be a physics this major. This is it. This is it. Yeah. That's awesome. That, yeah. That's You found your passion right there. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of kicked it off. And then in college, I studied physics, and uh, one of my professors was doing research about one of Jupiter's moons, Europa. And so I was helping him out with his project. And then I got lucky that NASA does internships and various sort of fellowship type programs, you know, work, work experience that you can start while you're still in school. And uh, they, there was a scientist at the Jet Propulsion Lab in California whose sort of internship I applied for because his project was essentially identical to the one I was doing now at that time. Mm-hmm. And I got that job. And that was so exciting. That, that was a. So you were out in California at that point? Yep. Yeah. So I went out to California for a couple months, uh, not too long, but got to be at the Jet Propulsion Lab, which is just it's the epicenter of NASA facilities for planetary missions. And was that just like a dream come true for you? You oh, were just yeah. like, I can imagine you just okay. be giddy. <laughs> I mean, anything. If oh man, remotely, but I have a oh, NASA Devesh hat. Is getting giddy again. I'm getting giddy. giddy. I have a NASA hat. I'm not even from NASA. I just you know whatever. Oh, me Stop too. No, I, me. Oh, I bought a shirt from the gift shop, <laughs> jacket, I got a pin, I got everything. <laughs> you know what's funny? Uh, I had a tour of SpaceX uh, earlier this year, and um, I, I saw a bunch of employees wearing some really cool shirts. Like one employee, he was an, definitely an engineer. He His shirt just said, I'll sleep when we get to Mars. And, yeah. like, <laughs> and, stuff, like, and I had like the SpaceX logo. That is such a nerd and, shirt. Yeah, I love it. But here's the thing. I wanted to buy like all these shirts, and I was just like... Uh, was it like employees only? Yeah, it was like an employee. You need to know an employee. And like I, it was a, it was a special thing why I got to take this tour with a small group. But uh, it's a, uh, it was really cool to see that kind of stuff. I love just geek attire that way. And unfortunately, like NASA, SpaceX, to me, that's all geek attire. That's <laughs> just, it's just awesome. Oh, those those SpaceX guys are intense. When they when we uh, I think I think it's every summer they do like a space games where they gather folks on the beach from all the sort of big aerospace industry companies like NASA, SpaceX, Boeing. And um, they fight each other to the death. What happens? <laughs> yeah, I'll get this government contract, <laughs> not you. Yeah. yeah. They, they do, you know, like beach volleyball and uh, some sort of modified shuffleboard thing and limbo and all these sort of cutesy activities. Oh, oh. I remember, but I remember everyone was so friendly and so nice. And SpaceX, was, they were nice, but they were intense. 
Dude, SpaceX, they're intense people. Like, uh, we have some correspondence. Uh, uh, Core Foundation does, the people who uh, bring this up, the foundation. Um, yeah, and uh, they're this, communicating via email with them, is it's super, like, efficient. Like, it's all one-liners. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, you like, send an email, they're like, who are yeah. you? No, no, Response. no. It's, it's just like, uh, no, like, I'll, I'll send, like, something, you know, pretty detailed, what have you. And I'll get like a one line response. Like it's this more efficient way for them to respond because they're just it's such a high intense uh, in, in oh, environment. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong, this response was everything I needed it to be. But I was just, like, they're more oh, yeah. like they need to have someone at SpaceX, like one of those employees, go to Twitter because they don't need 140 characters. <laughs> they just they can do things in 100 without a doubt. Like oh, yeah. it is like efficient. I said that way too many times for this explanation. They were like they were like um that that like that teen movie like Divergent when oh, yeah. there's when there's the one group of them that goes jumping off the train, they, they're, they're kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't argue with that one. Yeah. But you know what? They're doing stuff that's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. No, I, I mean, as a compliment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's there. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot of admiration if in case this episode wasn't an indication of me getting happy. About <laughs> oh, yeah. Stuff. I, but, think, I think they won the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's hilarious. Um, so for this episode, we really kind of want to take a, take a tour of our solar system because, Jacqueline, you have a... Uh, a specialty with planetary sciences, correct? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So we thought you would be the best person to ask, or at least tell us and our listeners at least one fun fact, or not necessarily fun, just one fact <laughs> about each planet in our solar system. And I think it will be kind of cool if we go in order from closest to the sun to furthest. Sure. So, um, I mean, do you, let's just start us off here. Let's start with Mercury. Let's, uh, whatever you want to say, you, you have the floor. Oh, I was gonna say you got it right. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes! yes, yes, we're astronauts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So Mercury's a fun one. I think I think the coolest thing. I'm trying to pick. I'm trying to pick interesting, cool facts for you guys. Um, but I think the coolest one about Mercury is that it has the largest surface temperature gradient of any planet, which means if you take the coldest temperature you can find on Mercury's surface and the hottest temperature that you'll find. There's the biggest difference between them compared to any other planet in the solar system. What temperatures are we looking at there? So the coldest you get is around minus 240 degrees Fahrenheit. Jeez. Um, freaking cold. Wow. Okay. <laughs> really, really cold. And the hottest you get is about 800 Fahrenheit. And is that just because if if it's uh, proximity to the sun? So partially, yeah. So it's, it's, Mercury is the closest to the sun. So because of that. The part of it that's facing the sun is just getting blasted with that heat. So that's the 800 degree side. Uh, the other funky thing about Mercury is that it rotates very slowly. So the part that's facing the sun is facing it for months at a time. And so oh, all that 800 okay. degree heat is just hitting it and hitting it and still, you know, it's just still on hitting. the one side, basically, because right. it's there for so long. And again, just exactly. to make this clear for everyone. So like example, Earth, we rotate as we orbit the sun. So like right. we're just turning. So you're telling us Mercury one, it doesn't rotate that much compared to the Earth right. when it orbits the sun. Okay. Am I wrong, right. or is that kind of like how the moon works with us? Like, we have a dark side of the moon that rarely faces us or something, or am so I... The moon's a little bit different, because the, the moon is in something called the geosynchronous orbit with us, and all that means is that the same side of the moon faces us all the time. Mm-hmm. So, as relative to us, the moon is not rotating at all, because we always see the exact same side of it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Mercury is rotating. It's just very slowly. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So so on Mercury, you have a side that's facing the sun for about several months. And that side heats up to about 800 degrees Fahrenheit. But at the same time as that, 
The other side of Mercury has been away from the sun for several months, and that side cooled down to about minus 240 Fahrenheit. There's not like, there's no ice or anything that we know of on Mercury, is there? No. Okay. So Mercury, just, it, it looks a lot like the moon. If you, if you want to sort of get a picture in your head, you could think of it like the moon, like a gray kind of pockmarked surface. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. yeah the, the only rocky planets in our solar system are, uh, what was it, Mercury, Venus, Earth, and uh, Mars, right? Yep. Everything else is like gaseous? Yes. Meaning that's made up of gas. Yep. Look, at you. Look how much you know, Devesh. Yeah, it's quickly looked on Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> uh, that's cool. What else? Is there anything else you can tell us about Mercury? And Mercury is. I think the, actually the fact that it looks like the moon, I do think, is pretty cool. Because when I when I give presentations and I show people pictures, they every time people think it's the moon. <laughs> that's funny. Every, I, <laughs> I just think every everything that's closer to the sun than us just looks like red, like barren <laughs> and, and hot. That's all I think. You, of. you know, yeah. Mars is further from the sun, right? Sorry? Yeah, but still, <laughs> yeah. it's just bad. I don't know. I just, I, I'm thinking that's like the stereotype of where you're getting that from. That's all. Yeah, no, it totally is. Yeah. Totally, I'm sorry to be planetist. No, that's okay. <laughs> I, I have a cheat sheet here because I couldn't remember the, the order of our planets. So, like, I have Jacqueline on the air. So, it's kind of like, I don't want to look like a complete fool. Like, what's the first uh, planet? So, I, you telling me I got that right was just totally just farce. I, I had a cheat sheet. <laughs> So I apologize to just lie to you. That's actually fascinating. Have we have do have we had any satellites or like rovers go to Mercury? No one's traveled. Has anything traveled that far man-made? Yeah. Oh yeah. We've had in the seventies. We had um, the Mariner missions to Mercury, and then in the two, I think in two thousand four they launched the Messenger mission to Mercury, and there are some planned missions coming up uh, by the European Space Agency and. and Possibly the Japanese one too, but uh, so the, so there are some of those potentially going going on as well. Or and it's funny, all, always a planetary mission. You know, there's the ones we've had already, and there's always about a dozen in the works at any time. For mm-hmm. I feel like for every planet, it just depends on which ones actually get funding and get picked. It ends up being a really small number. But for those missions to Mercury, are they has anything landed on the planet, or has it just been in orbit? I think it's been orbit. Okay. Actually, you know. I'm not entirely sure of that. All right. We'll find out later. Yeah. Tune in for the next episode of The Interesting <laughs> Hour. <laughs> Sorry, Jess, I don't know if you had a question that you're about to ask. Oh, no. I was just I was just wondering, like, that. you kind of asked it there, but I'm like, when we if we send something, like, for a Mercury mission, like, is it just, like, we just assume this thing's going to eventually land up burning up in the sun, or does it actually stay in orbit? Can we... Can we I think can we mo- throw it accurately enough to where it'll just stay in orbit around that planet, and we'll just have it for as long as it holds out? Like Doesn't, communication. I that's a good question because I I, oh, I don't know Jacqueline, you might know because uh, yeah, I don't know. Does it take fuel or something like that to maintain something? I thought everything crashes eventually. Yeah, I mean, you, you, usually it does. Like mo- most of these ones that we uh, leave in orbit, eventually they'll run out of fuel and crash. Um, Mercury's close enough to the sun that you could also always do that too. Everyone at NASA is just a pyromaniac or something. <laughs> just oh, like, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah. We have to be right for all those rockets. I, I, yeah, I was gonna say if you're experimenting that much, you, you can't be afraid to touch it. I mean you just gotta, <laughs> That's funny. Just gotta go for it, yeah. Alright, so let's go on down this tour. Unless Justin, you have any other questions. No, I think I'm good. All right. On to Venus. On to Venus. What's going on with Venus? Sure. So Venus is probably one of the scariest planets, and you would not want to visit Venus. And essentially, 
you could think of Venus as having terrible weather. It has a very, very, very dense atmosphere. So if, if, if you could even just transport yourself onto the surface, you'd be instantly crushed by the atmosphere. Like it's so, like the gravity or just the atmosphere? Like that, like the atmospheric pressure. What? Oh, it's that intense? Like um, It's like somewhere being like at the bottom of the ocean or something like that? Yeah, exactly. Sounds heavy. Exactly. Very, very heavy. <laughs> very, very wow. Heavy. Justin's shaking his head wow. at me. I, I've succeeded in this episode. Uh, Justin at least shook his head at me at least three times by now, so I'm good. I can't control Ooh, this guy. He's I, like no. so like I can't even get a word and he's so excited. Sorry. I love it. I love it. <laughs> no, please be excited. It's so sorry, Jacqueline. I don't want to talk. I want Jacqueline to talk. But yeah, no, just like you said, it's so heavy and it's also really hot. And Venus Venus is pretty much just hot. The surface is about nine hundred Fahrenheit. So really, really hot. Wait, that, is that? Did you say that's hotter than Mercury? Then yes. How can that be if it's further away from the sun? Good question. It's because Mercury doesn't have an atmosphere, so although it's getting a lot of heat from the sun, it's not. It can't really uh, contain its own heat because there's no atmosphere to contain it. Whereas Venus has the opposite. Venus has such a thick atmosphere that even though it's further from the sun, it contains almost all the heat that it gets. Oh, so it's holding in more of the heat that it gets from the sun and just exactly. not letting it escape, and that's why exactly. it's so hot? Yep. Okay. So it's sort of like an oven, and it's just it's just getting hot and hot and stay, staying nice and hot inside. And so if you were on Venus's surface, you'd be crushed by the atmospheric pressure. It'd before, be you <laughs> before you burn to death. Before you burn to death. Before you. Exactly. Well, at least, there's a, degrees. at least there's a hierarchy of things that would happen to you first. Yeah. <laughs> it's not one or the other. It's like, what's going to happen first? I don't know. No, you're going to get crushed. And oh, yeah. then burn. Um, is that like a was well, that's considered like a runaway uh, greenhouse effect? Correct. Kind of, yeah. Is that what we're worried about happening on Earth? To a lesser extent, I think Venus Venus's atmosphere is Earth. Earth, it's almost a reverse problem where you have holes in the atmosphere, which mm -hmm. are letting more heat in. Venus, there's it's sort of so thick that we're, Venus, there, there's no worry about a hole appearing in its atmosphere anytime soon. Mm -hmm. But it's so thick that even even if it's only absorbing in you know a very small percent of the light that's hitting it it just keeps it in there and incubates it you know what i don't know if this is the proper question to ask but do you know like just atmosphere like can you tell us like how atmosphere is generated or anything like that do we know that stuff right now yeah we're not we're not entirely sure mm -hmm. we have theories that essentially when planets were forming it was just you know everything in astronomy spins mm -hmm. is a good is a good way to think about things <laughs> now earth Earth things spin on their axis. Things go around an orbit. You know, we Earth spins on its axis. Earth orbits the sun. The sun itself is moving around our galaxy. Our galaxy is moving around other galaxies. And every everything in astronomy is moving and shaking and spinning. And so we think that when the solar system formed, you had a lot of separate stuff. You know, pieces of rock and dust and individual elements scattered about. And they're all spinning around and flying around and moving and shaking and rotating. And as they got gravitationally attracted to each other, we think essentially that's how the planets formed. And when uh, when things are moving around and they sort of combine together, you end up with this spinning motion, which we think gave rise to the planets as they rotate now. And we think atmospheres kind of came out of that process. It's just some of the some of the lighter elements and gases that didn't quite make it into the you know, surface of the planet but they were they were attracted enough to the planet they kind of stayed hovering above it and sort of became our atmosphere 
So you're saying like uh, like in the case of Mercury, they could have had some gases or something at some point, but they they don't spin that much. There's no motion, so that might be why there's no atmosphere on Mercury. Or yeah. So so for Mercury, it could it could have been a few things. It could be Mercury's pretty small, so it could be that the gravity wasn't enough to sort of hold the atmosphere to it. Um, it could have been that where wherever Mercury was when it was forming. Maybe that area didn't really have a lot of gassy material around it, so there was no gas to make an atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, this could be a couple of things. Man, so many questions. Yeah. Man, this is about atmosphere. I know, and we were worried before, and we're like, oh, I hope we have enough questions. It's like every every sentence she says <laughs> generates like two <laughs> questions. At least like, yeah, two. I'm thinking about 20 more questions <laughs> after everything she's talking about. Um, and the other, the other cool thing about Venus, too, is have you ever, like maybe when you were a kid in school, you ever smell sulfur? Yeah. Smell that weight, yeah. Sulfur rock in a lab or something. Yeah, it's disgusting. Stinks. Yeah, exactly. It completely stinks. Um, and on Mercury and on Venus, the, it's not. When we talk about a heavy atmosphere, we have clouds and things just like we do on Earth, but they're not water clouds; they're sulfur clouds. Oh, and gross. So when they, yeah, exactly. And so when they rain down, uh. they don't. They don't rain down water. They rain down sulfuric acid. Brutal. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they need to do an episode of Metalocalypse if they were still on on that planet. Oh yeah. Would you say Venus is the most heavy metal planet there is? No, Justin, you not just say that. We need to take that out of the episode. All right, we will. <laughs> we will. <laughs> sorry, Jack, and we cut you off. What were you saying? I'm sorry. No, no. I said yeah. So, so when it's Venus, it's raining down sulfuric acid. So you know, you you don't want to be around sulfur because it stinks, and you don't want to get acid on you because it burns. You've ever. You know, if you ever were a kid and spilled acid on your, your hydrochloric acid or something, that burns and it can burn oh. badly. Now, here's a question. Have you ever spilled acid on yourself in your quest <laughs> for knowledge? Have. I have. I've, I think I have. I've definitely, we had these um, laser pointers in one of my labs that were strong enough to like light a match on fire. Ooh. Um, and Ooh. so if you, if you aimed it at your hand, your hand would feel totally fine and then... You know, you know how like if you touch a flame, it's kind of this like instantaneous pain feeling, but then it goes away when you move your hand. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. So I aim, you're aiming it at your hand to see if you feel anything. You don't feel it, and then suddenly you feel it burning. And then you move your hand, and you're totally fine. Oh. But for a split second there, it, it hurt. Do, do you have a permanent scar on your hand from a laser? Yeah. <laughs> no. Do you really? No, no. Oh, okay, no. I was just like, whoa, wait, what? <laughs> Justin, no, that's no. a good line of questioning there. I was like, yeah, whoa. <laughs> But it's, when Justin thought of that question right now, I saw the light bulb over his head just <laughs> turn on. I was like, I have a question. <laughs> that, is, that is the cool thing, though. If you get, if you, I, I'm assuming they do this for full-time employees, but they certainly did this for, like, interns, fellowships, that kind of thing. Burn when them with lasers? Out, when you, yeah. <laughs> That's I'd love to work at this place. <laughs> yes, please. When you start at NASA, they give you, like, safety training in all these different areas. And uh, so they give you the acid training, which is basically like, don't stick your hand in acid. <laughs> By sticking your hand in acid to show you show you what it'll feel like? Oh, they show you pictures. Oh, yeah. And oh, uh, I love the fact that I know that there's a like a contract afterwards that says, like, you have to sign saying you went through this training. That yeah, just explains what you just went through. Oh, yeah. They show you the pictures. There's a, um, I had to do this one, like, like a, a cryo training, like cryogenics, like really cold stuff. What? Saying, you know, don't, don't put your body in the, you know, cryogenic refrigerator, freezer. I mean, if you can't work at NASA or be at NASA without doing these types of experiments, like, well, what, what are you doing there for? What's the, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't you, you know, submerge your entire body in a cryo? Like, yeah. one of those, yeah, what, yeah. What, 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 come on now. 
Now I picture. Sorry. We used to make liquid nitrogen food a lot. <laughs> sorry, Justin. I'm I, I'm totally wearing this off course. Uh, so Venus. <laughs> don't visit Venus. That's what we're worried about. Don't here. go to Venus. Yeah. All right. But actually, just some fun fact. I think I know this. Uh, I think the, some Russian. Uh, uh, Russian. What am I looking for? Russian uh, explorations. Cosmonaut? No, yeah, they've some some uh, uh, landers have gone to Venus, haven't they? They've, we've seen the surface of yeah. Venus somewhere, right? Yeah, oh yeah, in in the seventies, they, they I think they launched about ten different probes to Venus. So, like, how did that work? If once it lands, like, it just gets crushed eventually. Like, how does what? How does it work? Yeah, no, essentially, I mean, it, it 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 the weather could certainly erode it and kind of crush it over time. Um, chances are more, more than like the, the structure of the probe itself, just the equipment on it would eventually stop working. So you hmm. might, you might have sort of a, you know, shell of a probe still sitting there where the, where the, you know, transmitter sending the data back to earth might not work anymore. Dude, NASA's a, litter's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's that wasn't NASA, but still like, uh, I'm just thinking like these space agencies, but, uh, oh, yeah. wow. Um, Oh, you know, we, Justin and I were talking in anticipation for this episode. Do all of our planets or most of our planets have like moons or things that orbit them? Uh, a lot of them do. Not, yeah. yeah, a lot of them do, and it varies. So Merc- Mercury doesn't have any. Uh, Mars has two. Uh, we have one. And then you get to guys like Jupiter and Saturn that have in the 60s and 70s, you know, t- tons of moons. Whoa, 60 or 70? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we'll talk about those planets when we get there. <laughs> They're coming. Next, we, we're talking about the most boring planet in the solar system. I mean, the most unremarkable planet yeah. in the entire solar system. Who cares about Earth? Yeah, Earth. Yeah. Earth. <laughs> Good band. Not really. I, I, mean, I, don't know. I was just silent. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, yeah, what... I mean, I think this is going to be a hard one to ask. I don't know. What's fun facts? Uh, what fun facts are about Earth? About Earth? Well, I think... I think the one neat thing about Earth and kind of the, the the thing where it shows up most in astronomy is that a lot of a lot of times in astronomy, Earth doesn't come up because we talk about it more in geology. Mm-hmm. And may, maybe if you're doing atmospheres and things like that, you uh, you talk about Earth specifically. But I think the the place where Earth really comes through in astronomy is that it's really the only thing we have to compare everything else to. Right. You know, right. We can we can we can compare Jupiter to Saturn, but we know more about Earth than any other planet because we live here, we experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's always the neat thing that any, you know, anytime you're looking at a anything in astronomy, in the back of your mind, you're sort of always comparing it to what you know here on Earth. Right. Um, so I always thought that was sort of neat. The Earth Earth is really influencing every astronomy observation and conclusion that we come to because that's really our frame of reference and um. You know, for instance, they just had a mission to Pluto and they got some of the pictures back and people are trying to come up with analogies for what, what does this seem most similar to? And, and in a lot of cases, Earth was the answer there. Yeah. And we just we just don't have that much to compare it to just because of distance, right? Yeah. right? Like, hey, man, NASA told me Pluto loves us. Yeah. <laughs> I believe Pluto loves us. I hope so. Hey, I had a quick question for you. I are you a Star Wars fan? It doesn't matter, but yes. okay, cool. All right, it, it matters. No, kidding. Uh, yeah, yes. Okay, so here is my question: it's something that I mean, you see with Star Wars, you have like the planet Tatooine that's like a desert planet, or you got the forest moon of Endor that's like completely covered with trees, like or Kashyyyk, or Kashyyyk, big <laughs> big ass trees. Um, but. Like, did, did we win, like, the lottery here on Earth that we have all, like, a desert and a forest and different, like, 
terrains. Yeah, different terrains and stuff. Like if we if we went out and saw other planets, would we see like a Star Wars type desert planet or a forest planet type or, thing? Yeah. Yeah. So I think so. Yes, and that like absolutely there are uh, like Mercury, for instance, or, or our moon. It's rocky. It's barren. It's totally something Star Wars esque. Where you know what what you see in one area won't be that different from what you see on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are planets in the solar system and e- even moons of planets in the solar system where there is some terrain change, um, places where, you know, it's smoother and then places where there's suddenly mountains and places where it looks like there's a, like, like cracks in the surface of the moon or the planet. So we do see some change for sure though. For now, earth is by far the most diverse that we've seen. Um, we definitely haven't seen anything close to what we see on Earth yet. Exactly. I think the real, I think the real problem, though, with any anything you know, like like an exoplanet, like outside of our solar system, is that we just we aren't good enough yet at observing them. So right. there's totally a, there's totally a chance that some of those exoplanets have areas that have water on them, and areas that have greenery, and areas that are desert, and areas that have an element that we don't even have here. You maybe we haven't even discovered it yet here on Earth. Um, but we just, we're just not yet advanced enough to know that. Let's take a detour from the solar system real fast. Uh, we're, what, what's NASA doing or what other space agencies are they doing to bridge that gap of what we don't know about exoplanets or sure. exoplanetits, uh, from a previous episode, one of our guests <laughs> called it exoplanetits. <laughs> check out the check uh, history it. of alchemy. <laughs> yeah. Check out the history of alchemy with, uh, Travis Dow. Uh, good episode. Anyway, sorry, Jacqueline. <laughs> No, definitely. I mean, I think they, they've got active missions going on now to find exoplanets. I'm sure there'll be more coming up. Um, as our instruments get better, we're able to sort of discover, as we look towards other stars, you know, not our own, we see around them that we can tell that there's other, you know, objects orbiting those stars, just like we have planets orbiting the sun here. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just keep trying to study them and learn more. And so far, I think they, they've discovered, you know, well over a thousand different exoplanets, some bigger than Earth, some smaller than Earth, some that orbit way closer to, the, to their host star, their sun, than we do, some that orbit much, much further, systems where there's only two planets, systems where there's eight planets. I mean, we've really, we've discovered a nice variety. That's a huge spectrum right there. Yeah, exactly. And, and we've definitely discovered things that we didn't think were likely, like, like maybe... We, we thought it was a little bit strange that you'd have such a big planet so near the host star. We've discovered plenty of those. Are we? That's right. I think I remember reading that. Like uh, beforehand, we always thought like bigger planets naturally form yeah. further away from the sun. But then we found like other system, star systems that have those huge planets right next to the sun, right? Like the size yeah. of Jupiter was found next to a, a sun. I don't know. I'm, again, yeah, I'm just reading headlines here. No, you're right. Exactly. So we've seen We've seen all this kind of stuff like that. And I feel like that's, you know. It keeps blowing our minds and we keep being wrong. But I think that that's a good thing. That That's what you want in, in science and, you know, astronomy. You want to keep making predictions and discovering things that, you know, either prove them right or prove them wrong and then you learn something new. So I think it, it's it's been an exciting time for exoplanets. And uh, when they when they launched, I think it was probably a few, few years ago now, they launched the Kepler mission. That mission discovered a ton of exoplanets. Um, and so really it was only it was a matter of about a decade that we went from knowing about very few of them to, you know, an order of a thousand of them. And the Kepler mission, that's the uh, satellite, right? That was launched. That was specific yep. to finding, identifying exoplanets. Yep. 
Cool. And that's still in service right now, right? I think it is. Um, and also we have the James Webb telescope coming out, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> One hopefully, day. Yeah. One year sometime. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and that's supposed to help us with uh, discovering more about... Uh, is that supposed to be... Uh, the tools on there, the instruments, are they supposed to be helping finding out like atmosphere specifically? I don't even know. Yeah, so J- James Webb, you know like the Hubble Space Telescope? Yeah, of course. Kind of like the, yes. most, the most famous one and that essentially because it has such good instruments on it allows us to see really, really far and gather a ton of info. And uh, James Webb is sort of uh, the the uh, successor of the Hubble. Mm-hmm. Um, so all, all of the great sorts of pictures that Hubble could get, James Webb should be able to give us similar. Um, James Webb is focusing on the the infrared or near infrared region. And so all, all that means is that, a uh, you know, light, light, as we think of it, like visible light comes in different colors. There's red, there's green, there's blue. Um, but there's also other types of radiation and light. Uh, there's, you know, x-rays and ultraviolet rays, and there's also infrared type of radiation. And so James Webb is going to sort of, it, it's camera. You could think of it like this, it, you know, mm. it, you could think of it as a camera that instead of taking pictures in visual light, it's going to be taking a lot of pictures in infrared light. Sounds like a baller. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. All right. If it, Sorry. Ever, if it ever gets off the ground. Hopefully <laughs> if it ever gets, right? What's the, I think the date's now, what, 2018 or something like that? I think it's 2018, yeah. But there, there are a lot, you know, their expenses keep going up. They keep being delays, but. I guess that, that's true of most things. I was just going to ask that because I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Like, is it just about money to get this thing going? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's m- money, time, and, re- and money, time, and resources. And I feel like all three relate to each other. Yeah, I right. feel like if you have the money, you have the resources. Well, yeah. I, I kind of wanted to ask this question. Other than us getting off the planet to look at other things, like if we had unlimited time resources just to give to a bunch of scientists, if we made a telescope that was a mile high, would we like... Would we just be able to know so much more? Like, is it really about just getting the freaking biggest telescope? Or am I crazy? Yeah, I think the, the bigger, the better. And I say it, de- it definitely helps. Um, I think that, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know what I'm I sorry. No, no, no. We're, like, it's, not, it's not you, Jacqueline. It's just Justin and I are completely immature kids. And uh, as soon as you said that, him and I were looking at each other like, yeah, do we say that's what she said? No, <laughs> we shouldn't say that on air. But we totally just said it on air, so it's okay. Oh no, no, believe me, I've, I've, I, that was that was intentionally phrased. <laughs> Thank you, Jacqueline. Thank I feel you. like we know each other forever. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Sorry, back. Yeah. To no, no, and and to 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 continue to continue the awkward metaphor. The bigger you get, sometimes the more trouble you can get actually getting it into space. And you know how how do we package it and then launch it up into space? Is it too heavy? Do we need more fuel to get it up into space? You know, you get the the bigger and heavier the satellite you're trying to launch, the more other problems that you run into. Um, so that's one reason why they don't just you know let's just build a three mile wide you know tank of a telescope right. and launch it up there because launching it would be really really hard. So um, I have a two part follow up question. Uh, yeah. One. Um, how, there's a ridiculous factoid out there about um, it, it, it's it's a fact. It's just it, how much money per pound does NASA oh, like yeah. what it was like? It costs like fifty thousand uh, dollars, fifty thousand dollars per pound going up into space. It costs NASA. Do you know, it's roughly around I, again. So maybe someone can look that up uh, at some point. But um, this is probably I think it's ten thousand. 
Ten thousand? I think so. No, man, that's way too cheap. I remember it was something ridiculous. Like, Along with the price of building everything and getting it there, what you put on, I think, is an extra ten thousand per pound or something. I, we're just talking we're just talking. Asses. And someone's yeah. someone's <laughs> listening to this right now. And they're like, "What jackasses?" <laughs> I'll comment this. this. Episode again. <laughs> <laughs> that's most, the other funky thing. Like most most missions cost at, at least hundreds of millions to do. And, you know, but at a minimum, and I think it's it's you know interesting where the cost goes because it depends on what you're looking at some of it's got to be salaries people doing it some of it's you know it, it depends do you want do you want to count you know putting the lights on in the building as you're building the thing you know, i mean i, I would count that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's important we're um, gonna sacrifice warm water and showers <laughs> let's just get to mars exactly yeah well and then you know of course there's the actual cost of you know we need a mirror we need a piece of metal we need X thousand pounds of, of fuel or maybe not a lot of fuel at all to, you know, get this thing up into space. Well, this is where this is the second part of my question where I feel like 3D printing has a lot of applications. So, like, has they, have they launched? I think they are testing 3D printing on, on the International Space Station at this point. Uh, do you know anything about that or do you have any? Yeah, I, I don't know that they've included anything 3D printed yet in a mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of the reason for that is all the all these missions, they get planned and conceived at least a decade, probably more like two before they're actually launched. So whatever tech, you know, if, if today we, we, if we right now decide to come up with a new mission, you know, we're working with the technology that we have now, even if we ended up launching it in 2040 and by then technology is way better and we're kicking ourselves, you know, for not doing X, Y, and Z, you're kind of locked into it already. Um, so I think with 3D, 3D printing, it'll be interesting for missions that get launched around like 2050, 2060 to see if they're incorporated into that, into those missions. Because hmm. most of, you know, the current missions or things that are going up in the next year or or so, they've been mostly conceived out and probably largely uh, completed by this point. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's go on because we're going to keep getting into a deeper deeper topic yeah, i know i love it though i love the oh, i know but we're not there. we haven't even hit mars yet and that's like a lot of yeah. like publicity around <laughs> that right now so uh jacqueline take the floor all right uh yeah yeah, sure. yeah let's take the floor so mars tell us so a little mars. bit sure so mars i think and again you know being being in new york city i think mars is a cool one and that mars is a red surface it's got a lot of iron oxide on its surface and it's the same thing in your home you have a metal object and it starts rusting, it turns red. Mars is doing the exact same thing. It's got that reddish wow. hue to it. Yeah. And I think the, the cool thing is that you can actually see it with your naked eye. If you go out, and e- even from New York City, so if you're anywhere else besides New York City, you can definitely see it because it's probably darker where you are. But <laughs> if, you, if you go outside on a clear night and, you, and Mars is up in the night sky, if you look at a star that's up and then you look at Mars, you'll notice Mars looks a little bit redder. You I can thought, see it. Am I wrong? Or I thought you needed like oxygen or um, like moisture in the air to create that effect or. Yeah. So, so it's, so it's uh, interacting with other, there's other minerals on the surface in addition to iron. So it's sort of interacting with everything that's on its surface and it's slowly uh, rusting away. And there's a lot of, it's a lot of uh, iron oxide on it. So on the surface, iron oxide is just the, the compound that contains both iron and oxygen. And that just helps the, what light was reflected off the surface. And that's what we see as a star. Yep, the exactly. Yeah. Okay. That, yep. And so, uh, 
exactly. So just like when you when you look at a rusty object, you know, you're looking at the light coming off of that, and you see it as red. It's the exact same thing as Mars. You look at light reflecting off of Mars, and you see it with a reddish hue, and you can totally you can see it with your naked eye. I mean, it's you know, which is kind of you know, you can see we can see it in pictures. So we've had plenty of rovers land there, but I always think that's a really cool thing when a you don't you don't need a telescope, you don't need binoculars, really just your naked eye. If you if Mars is up one night, you can totally tell that it's slightly slightly that's, ruddy. I feel like that's like the only star I know that I can point out. Planet, like, not a star, man. Or not a star, sorry. Oh, oh planet, Devesh, planet. I thought you knew your shit. Oh, I'm just going to take off these headphones and just walk away. No, no, that's, well, from here, it looks like a star, okay, bro? Uh, that's the only planet I can ever point out. And, like, other than Orion's belt from my, like, my sky view. <laughs> so, like, um, but, yeah, and that's, uh, in, it's, it's, it glows a little bit red. It's very easy to point out. Yeah, um, and I think the the reason that Mars has become so popular, and we talk about going to it, is because Earth Earth is right in between Venus and Mars, and we just talked about Venus, and no one wants to go there. I guess. <laughs> why? Why? We, yeah, that, maybe, maybe you do. Yeah, <laughs> we've got a volunteer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the dumbest volunteer ever in the history of anyone. Um, if you cut yourself on a sharp rock on Mars, would you get like? Uh, would you or? <laughs> Finish that question. Finish it. What are we gonna ask? Do you need a tetanus shot to go to Mars? Interesting. So you know, on honestly, you could get tetanus. I mean, it, it's it's the same. It's the same chemical makeup. So absolutely. Um, I think the the more interesting thing would be what would happen when you're you know if there was a hole in your skin and you know if, if you were wearing a spacesuit, there was some air within the spacesuit, so you could still get you know. An infection or if you, you know there'd have to be some bacteria kind of in your spacesuit to get in there mm-hmm. um, oh you, so you could prove there's life on mars by getting an infection on mars <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> take that suckers yeah. <laughs> skeptics if you, uh, if you were not in a spacesuit and then well, well one if you were not in a spacesuit you'd already you'd have you'd have much more than a tetanus cut a <laughs> couple so, problems a couple different yeah. issues going on yeah. there um yeah. you know that's actually a good way for me to ask this so so bacteria and all this stuff. So obviously one of the missions or one of the things we're looking for is trying to find some form of life on other planets, uh, whether they want to admit that or not. I think pretty sure they are admitting that. They oh, have yeah. It. Yeah. Oh, so um, what is it that like, what are we or scientists defining as life? Like, what are we looking for? Sure. And again, I, and again, I think this is another great place where like that whole earth comparison comes into play where the only the only way we define life is how we know it. And maybe our definition's gotten a little bit broader as we've discovered things at the bottom of the ocean and stuff like that, you know, things that we didn't think could exist in such dark, cold, high-pressure places we've discovered do. Example? Uh, oh, uh, not my field. <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking about, like, like fish that, like, glow in the dark, pretty much? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, but th- there are tons of documentaries, and, you know, just, just through, through the years, I feel like every few years, always some article about some sort of species of marine life being discovered you know ne- near an underwater volcano or at you know miles down into the ocean and uh things that you know humans we, we need light to survive we need access to you know air to survive we we could not we could not hang out right by the opening of an active volcano and live to tell the tale um whereas they find other types of life that are able to do that so i think the the further you know, humanity progresses, I guess, the wider the definition gets. 
but still there's certain necessities that we look for. Um, and one of them is water. You know, humans, need, we're, we're largely made of water. We need water. We need to drink water. There's, you know, water all around us. Um, and so that's one of the big drivers and where they, it's probably one of, if not the biggest driver in where they look for life is any place where we think there could be water, ice, something that's H2O-esque uh, so, hanging around. And I guess another one would be temperature. You know, we, we don't like it too cold. We don't like it too hot. We like to be, you know, I mean, we, we really like to be nicely around 70, 65 degrees, <laughs> but you know, we, we can take, you know, right. Maybe zero degrees, like 110 degrees, that, that sort of range. Um, yeah, but then you don't have AC and it's not comfortable. Right, <laughs> exactly. yeah. Bring your coat with you in, in the satellite. You'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes, that, that's another driver in looking for life that we, uh, you know, it, we, we we assume that if, if we and animals and you know all the animals we have here on Earth, most of them like to live between those temperatures. We we sort of make the assumption that on another planet, moon, wherever it might be, any life there would like that those temperatures too. So, just a quick question, because you're talking about stuff way under the ocean. What do you say to the people that are like, instead of spending, I think you said millions upon millions of dollars for a space mission, any one space mission, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What do what what do you say to the people that say, okay, all all these answers are so far away from us right now. One day we'll have the technology. It's not quite here yet. We should put all this money into exploring the ocean floor and finding out. Who knows? The cure for cancer could be down there. We every time they go down there with a submarine, they find like you know, a few new forms of life. Why not put all that money towards that instead of reaching for the stars, which we seem so far away from? Sure. So I think two reasons. Um, the first thing is just like you said, you know, why, why do it now when we'll have better technology in 50 years? I think the, the better technology comes from the fact that we do it now. You know, we, the, the, the main reason that our technology in, in any field in any, any, any scientific field, um, gets better is because we, we use what we currently have and we improve upon it. So I'd say if, if we, if we stopped exploring space altogether, I, I could guarantee you that in 50 years, we wouldn't be much better at it. And we wouldn't sort of have made any progress in the meanwhile, in terms of technology for that field, because we weren't really trying to. Um, and I think the, the other thing is that as we try to better that technology, so many other technologies have come out of NASA and out of space exploration. I mean, the, they, the, the things they have used to try to get people up into space, satellites up into space, have spawned so many other inventions that we use every single day. Um, so, for instance, uh, MRI machines that used in medicine, that came out of astronomy technology. Oh, no Ballers. clue. Mm -hmm. No clue. Yeah, that, and it, it, same sort of thing of... You know, telescopes collect light. We want to take, you know, astronomy is all about images, getting data, observation. Um, and they were using MRI-like techniques to do that, and they applied it to the medical field. Um, the particle physics lab in Europe, CERN, the big particle accelerator. That big guy. Uh, that big guy, yes. Yeah, <laughs> they, uh, the, the internet, the, or the world, the World Wide Web sort of came out of that lab, Um and, you know, now, you know, just the Internet, know, just the, yeah, that, just just, the just Internet, the web. <laughs> just the web. Yeah. You know, so, 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 so many things that sort of now d define our lives. If we had if we had canceled the space, we had never even had a space program. You know, maybe maybe we would have invented them another way. Maybe not. You never know. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for me personally, uh, and maybe it's just because I like the subject a lot, but 
And one, one reason I'm a big fan of trying to get people back into space is I think there's sort of a huge inspirational dose that comes with it. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, Definitely. and I think, you know, I think it goes be it goes beyond children seeing astronauts and thinking, oh, I want to be an astronaut. I think, I think it's more than that, that it's really you see people doing things that seem really, really, really impossible. And, you know, even on a national level, you know, as, as a nation, you know, how the hell did we do actually launch people up into space? And I think that kind of inspiration really seeps out into a lot of other areas, you know, not, not just science, like culture and politics and all these other things. Um, you know, although, although our space program started out as sort of a, you know, cold war, you know, us against them kind of situation, you know. No, it didn't. We were yeah. ambitious and inspirational. <laughs> yeah, we had aspirations. What are you talking about? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We all now, know the truth. Now, we all know now, the truth. And now that NASA doesn't have, uh, you know, space shuttles anymore, we rely on Russia to get our people up and down. And who would who would have ever guessed that? Um, That's nuts when I heard about yeah. that. That is nuts. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of things like that that have come out of the space program um, and things that, you know, not are not quite as tangible as, you know, we found this element on this planet, but, but things like that, that it really helps kind of, you know, you, it's going to sound really sappy, but, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, in America, in Russia, in China, in South Africa, you know, there's a guy on Mars that's freaking cool. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, everyone's going to agree with that. <laughs> so Jacqueline, I actually have two more questions for you regarding Mars. Sure. Um, why does Elon Musk think Mars is a fixer upper? Elon Musk of SpaceX and Tesla, that that dude, that crazy guy. Yeah, the great Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Bored Elon Musk. Yeah, you see? Yeah. I love that Twitter account. Oh yeah, yeah, that one too. That, yeah, that one actually really good. Um, yeah, so I think the thing, and I mean, I, there's, I, I, there's a lot of reasons why I'm imagining he said that. So I don't, you know, maybe, maybe it's one of these, maybe it's none of these. Um, but the Kind of like we were saying before, that you know, next to Earth, if, if humans want to go somewhere else, there's our moon, which you know is cool. We've we've been there, we've done that. We want to do something else now. Um, there's Venus and there's Mars, and Venus would suck for humans to go to. It's too hot. It's too heavy of an atmosphere. There's too much sulfur raining down on you all the time. Um, so Mars is really our closest option and seemingly our best option. It's not too cold. It's not too hot. Uh, we, it, it's close enough that we've, we've launched several things, you know, rovers, satellites, you name it, been there successfully. So we, we, we've proven we can get things to Mars many times. We've proven we can land things on Mars in lots of different ways many times. Oh, so, yeah. The, the Curiosity rover had a very uh, unique oh, yeah. landing, right? Yeah. Oh, some, if you like want to watch a fun video, look up Mars rover landing videos. They're amazing. I've, I've shown them in lectures all the time. It's great. There's a, I think it was Curiosity. Was one, yeah, I think it was Curiosity Rover. One, one of them, uh, they essentially drop it down in a, I'm trying to think, kind of covered in balloons. You yeah, it's like, it's like a, bubble, a balloon, ba- a balloon, like this big yeah. ball, right? And it just bounces on the surface or something like that? It bounces around. And then when it lands, it writes itself. The kind of balloon shell falls off and out pops a beautiful and thank God functioning rover. That's fun. <laughs> They've had other crazy ones too. They've had it where they uh, there's a piece that kind of falls to the surface but hovers. It doesn't actually hit the surface, and from that hovering piece, they lower down by a tether the piece that actually lands on the surface. I mean, it's crazy. That's baller, uh, complete yeah. baller. Yeah. So Mars, so Mars, there, there's a lot of you know, its its temperature is pretty decent compared to what we have. There's ice caps on the poles, which 
I mean, there's some, you know, bit of oxygen and carbon and hydrogen and elements that we're really familiar with, we're used to working with, um, that we could possibly use and harness if we were on its surface. Uh, the weather on Mars is not super crazy. There are some sandstorms and winds and things like that we have to watch out for, but nothing compared to what you had on Venus. So it's sort of one of those situations, I guess, like a fixer-upper house where there's a lot of problems, but none of them seems that impossible to surmount. But that still doesn't seem too hospitable to what obviously Earth is, how how we've evolved here. So like, how would you make it more habitable? Would it be like... I don't know these huge. Dome You're talking about co- changing the climate. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like what? Like when yeah. Elon said that. Like I want to see how far was. Ha- I mean, not that Jacqueline had a personal conversation with Elon or anything, <laughs> but I mean, she. I mean, she yeah, may yeah, have yeah. like some you know insight why he might say that. Obviously. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's two ways. You can either try to you know almost like terraform. Terraform. I saw Man of Steel. <laughs> <laughs> they in uh, the Superman movie. They had a. Uh, they uh, they call it like the the planet machine or something like that or I forgot the name but it was a uh, it was terraforming Earth into Krypton so like it was making it similar so it was th- they use that term they drop it in the movie um, yeah so you you know there there's tons of people that that want to do things like that where you try to sort of build a a habitat on Mars and sort of set, set up a biology lab essentially but wouldn't that take thousands of years I personally think so. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it would. It would certainly. It would definitely take thousands of more than thousands of years to terraform it. I think. I think it's going to take, you know, several hundred years, or at least, you know, at least a hundred. Probably, I think, several hundred just to set that up. <laughs> and yeah. let, let let alone actually do it. Um, I think you guys need to set your goals a little higher. <laughs> I think get to work. Come on now, we just six <laughs> months tops. <laughs> And then the other, and then the other option is, don't terraform the planet as much as kind of build a, a you call it a dome in essence for us to live on the planet, and maybe, maybe sort of terraform it in a minor sense. So maybe we make certain pieces of it usable, or maybe we kind of you know put a little greenhouse on it and try to find a way to make that livable. But we don't do a large scale changing of the surface. Get no. Polly Shore up there in a biodome. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Said everyone we don't want up there. Uh my whole thing like with that is uh you know, forget it. Yeah. All right, next question. Uh, <laughs> next planet. Next, next planet. planet. We spent yeah. way too long on Mars. Let's move it along. <laughs> All right, so past these rocky planets, let's start off with the big guy in the in the uh, solar system, uh Jupiter. Oh yeah. Jupiter. Let's let's, let's know about let's let's get to know Jupiter a Drop little bit more. Some knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> Jupiter is definitely the big, big kahuna. Um, you could fit a thousand Earths inside of Jupiter. A thousand Earths. A thousand Earths. So if, if you could like, if, if you could like cut the top off of Jupiter and like fill it with Earths, and you know put the top back on, you could fit about a thousand Earths inside of Jupiter. Just for comparison, uh, how many Earths can we fit inside the Sun, our Sun? Many, many more, millions. <laughs> so just to give a sense of scale. Uh, yeah. Okay, so Jupiter, a thousand Earths inside of Jupiter can hold Jupiter. Yep, and you and you could fit, uh, and you could fit the Sun. Sorry, I shouldn't say millions. You you could you could fill about a thousand Earths inside of Jupiter, and you could fill about a thousand Jupiters inside of the Sun. Jeez, wow. Jeez, I can't even, can't comprehend that visually. Other than like, yeah, I'm not even comprehending that visually. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the, if when we. 
see Jupiter or look at pictures, are we looking at gases that are, um, it has an atmosphere, right? Yes, yes. So, so Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune are all called the gas giants and because they're big and they're gassy. So they're, physicists are not that creative with their names. <laughs> they're <laughs> but, called gas giants, they're gaseous, and they're giant. Um, and yeah, just like you said, so Jupiter, it, it does have a solid core to the, to the middle of it, the, you know, the, the very, very center of it is, is solid and rocky. Um, but oh. for thousands and thousands of miles upward from that, it's essentially all gas. And you can think of that as really being all atmosphere. Do we, we, I didn't know we knew that for sure. We knew that, uh, we know that Jupiter has some form of rocky core. Yeah, we do think so. Um, cause we, we know that the gas gets denser and denser as, as you go into the center. Mm-hmm. So at a certain point, it's, it's, we can tell that it's so dense that it must be solid. Did we think at one point it might just be all gas? Was that? They, you know, I don't know because they, I'm sure there are people that definitely have thought that. Hmm. Um, going going back to like ancient times, they probably thought the opposite, that it was rocky because we, we were rocky. You know, mm-hmm. Earth, mm-hmm. Earth's rocky. That other thing must be rocky too, kind of. Relationship status. It's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, sorry, I had to go there. Um, you mentioned earlier, though, also Jupiter. How many moons does Jupiter have? Jupiter has many. I'm trying to think of the exact number. Jupiter has got over, let's see, 67. 67. Oh, wow. I guess you could say it has a monopoly on moons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let that slide. Justin, congrats. <laughs> Good job, Justin. <laughs> um, does Saturn ha- how many does Saturn have? Probably very close. I think I think sixty three. But Jupiter has more. Something like that. Yeah, I think it does have a few more. Jupiter wins. King of yeah. the, is it considered a king or a queen? Yeah. <laughs> of the solar system. Uh, wait, wait. One more question on Jupiter before we leave to Saturn. Oh no, no. I just have more questions on Jupiter. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but go on, go on. No, what's what's with the Jupiter dot? Well, what's up with that? <laughs> the, oh, the the big the the red yeah, spot. The big spot. That big spot. Oh, yeah. It's got a big what's spot. What's up with the spot? <laughs> it's a big storm or what? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool. Next, Next question. That's no, <laughs> Next one. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a giant giant storm. You could fit about three Earths inside of it. This it, is it, so. Just to clarify, there is a spot on Jupiter that you can like see in its photos, and this spot is actually the storm that's happening. Yeah. And, and Jacqueline's yeah. explaining that we can fit three Earths inside this circle of a storm. But yeah. It, so kind of like. If you've ever when there's like a hurricane coming on the Gulf Coast and they show you the satellite pictures mm-hmm. and you can see, you know, the ocean, you can see the outline of the continent and then you can see that white swirling pattern. <laughs> it's the exact same thing on Jupiter, but instead of instead of seeing continents and ocean, you're just seeing Jupiter's clouds and swirls and bands of of its atmosphere and then instead of seeing a swirly white hurricane, you see this swirly red area. Does which it is called Again, another great name. It's called the Great Red Spot. <laughs> the Great Red Spot. <laughs> does it move around on the planet, or has it always been in the same thing or the same it place? It does move around. Oh, really? But this, th- there has been one ongoing storm there, like since as far back as we've been able to look at it, basically. Yeah, yeah they. I think the first. They, I think, in the six, in the sixteen sixties. They first noticed it, so it's been around for centuries. Wow, that wait, sixteen sixties? Yeah. You say one six? Yep. One six six zero. One six six zero. Yeah, back back around when they were first, you know, making telescopes. 
Wow, that's okay. All right. So it's been around for quite all right. Wow. Yeah. And the, other, and the other neat thing about that, it shows you how big it is because back then our telescopes were not that good. So the fact that you could even see it. That's with true. The, you know, with, with a primitive telescope shows you how, how big it is. <laughs> that's mind blown. Uh, mind blown. Yeah. We still we've seen it change. Like we see it grow and shrink a little bit, but it's still still kicking. <laughs> What's up with the this is one of Jupiter's moons, right? Europa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's, let's 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 talk about Europa because uh, that's my little my little favorite moon in the whole solar system, actually. Mine too. I did my thesis on it. <laughs> there it is. Oh my god. Yeah. So you so Jupiter Jupiter has sixty has sixty seven moons, but it has four moons that get all the attention, um, mm-hmm. and those those are called the Galilean moons, named after the scientist Galileo who first observed them through his telescope and he used to draw them. Um, you can look up the drawings online. They're really, really. I don't. I don't. I feel bad calling Galileo's drawings cute, but they're really cute. <laughs> <laughs> they're the cutest little drawings you'll ever see. Yeah. I put one on my fridge with a magnet. <laughs> You've got the dot, the Jupiter, and the four little dots around it. And then he observes it day after day, and you can see the moon sort of rotating around Jupiter. Aww, oh. Galileo, again, you get a gold star. Yeah. Galileo, you, you softy, you. Yes, <laughs> and it's and this is another cool one where. Um, if you, again, even in New York City, so this would certainly work anywhere else, if you take a really um, simple telescope, like a you know, $90 small telescope, you can see uh, Ju- those four moons around Jupiter. They, they'll just look like little dots, so it won't be you know, visually, you, you won't see anything on them, mm-hmm. but you can see the four little dots around Jupiter. And if you go back out a few days later, you can tell that the dots are not in the same place that they were. That's, That's a cool so thing. awesome. That's yeah. so like anyone can do that. You're so like yeah. you can see that in New York. But like oh, yeah. why why is everyone interested in Europa? So Europa's interesting because they think that there is water beneath the surface. They think that there's liquid. So Europa's so Europa's icy surface. It's not it's not gaseous like Jupiter and it's it's not rocky like Earth in the sense. You could think of Europa as basically a giant ice sheet. Is the whole thing covered with ice? Whole thing covered in ice. Hmm. Yep whole entire thing if you were if you were to stand on europa you're standing on ice sheet so then why would they assume that or why would they be why are people guessing that there's an ocean underneath that so the reason i think there's ocean underneath is because when you look at europa surf you know like if you look at pictures of uh ice sheets on earth if you're standing in the middle of the sheet it looks like this nice smooth white you know clear surface um but in between the you know icebergs let's say there's places where you can see the liquid and uh, there's cracks in the ice sheets and things like that. So um, at some parts you can see moving liquid on the surface? So you can't see the liquid on Europa, but you do see cracks in its surface. Okay. There's, there's places on Europa and there's a lot of places on Europa where the ice sheet is not smooth. There's a lot of cracks and fissures and areas where it looks very sort of clumpy and bumpy, like something was sort of making it break from underneath. Mm-hmm. And... Again, we compare it to Earth, and really the only thing we know that does that is if you have sort of something liquid moving beneath your rocky surface, that liquid can start to seep up and sort of break the rocky surface above it. Are you talking about like magma and volcanoes like here on yeah, Earth or something? Yeah, like magma. And it's similar to sort of plate tectonics and things like that where you have sort of large swaths of solid material moving around mm-hmm. and beneath them is something more liquid or magma-like. And there, it's still, there's still a possibility, though, that uh, it could just be some type of solid underground surface. Like some, Maybe there's this rock underneath. It, may, it just may not be 
completely water, right? Or is that just is that it, already been proven? It's not, it's not likely. It, it is really likely that it's definitely liquid. Okay. Um, it's not. It's not pure water. There's other elements and crystals and other things in it's it. It's not Arrowhead water or anything like that, or right. like yeah. Dasani. Dude, I'd take a shot. Oh yeah, I'd take a shot of Arrowhead yeah. water. I, mean, I don't care. Like, I mean, we get sick, but I mean, but then you'd prove that there's like biological exactly. Stuff there. yeah, there's well, something to you know win from that. So yeah, <laughs> yeah right. and that's a, and that's another mission that gets floated around a lot. Sending a probe. But you know how on Earth when they want to they want to probe what's beneath the surface, they basically just drill down. Yeah. That's sort of a mission that's been popular for a while, wanting to send a probe to Europa that'll just drill down. Some Europa-fashioned fracking or something, like just yeah, going yeah. straight down. Yeah. And it's, tri- and it's tricky because the ice sheet can be many, many miles thick in places. So if, you know, you could you could put it in a spot and drill down 10 feet and not get anywhere. I, I think I read this somewhere. I saw some special about this. Was Europa the moon that actually has, like... Sh- parts of ice again shoot out into space like during one of the i don't know if it's like a one of the poles or something like that but like there's something going on underneath some activity uh some that, of, I, i'm guessing that was one of saturn's moons oh is it saturn's? saturn's okay sorry they've seen they've seen jets on it like material spewing outward yeah okay i'm just mixing my moons then sorry <laughs> yeah that's why you're the expert uh, <laughs> <laughs> um okay cool so but is there is there anything in particular like uh about why an ocean underneath Europa versus like other moons that may be icy or something like that? Like, yeah. yeah so, so Europa is one of those moons where we, 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 we look at the terrain and on other moons, like, like another one of Jupiter's moons, um, Ganymede, Ganymede looks more like our moon and like Mercury. It's, it, it's more rocky. Um, we do think there might be some liquid beneath it, but we don't see as much of that sort of surface activity. Mm-hmm. Um, Europa just has a lot of different features on its surface and other places where it, it, we, it seems like a likely candidate is the fact that there's some sort of liquid beneath the surface. Okay. All right. So that's Europa. Yeah. That's Jupiter, really. Yeah. <laughs> With that was just Jupiter. Uh, let's go on to the next planet, Jacqueline. Let's talk about Saturn. Sure. So Saturn, I mean, I, I think Saturn's the prettiest um, because of the rings and I think having uh, – Having shown people through a telescope what the different planets look like, Saturn always gets the biggest reaction. Especially, especially you get it at a time when the angle is pretty good and you can kind of see the rings splayed out. It's 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 quite a sight. Especially, uh, I forgot. What, I don't know if it was Voyager, but uh, one of the satellites turned back around when I was passing Saturn and took a picture like yes. a like a the like a corona, like a like a halo around with the the sun right behind it. Um, it was pretty epic. And I think you can see Earth there in like as a small yeah. speck, right? Yep. It's, it's breathtaking. Anyone should, I don't know what what can you Google to see that? Like to find that picture. You Google um so it was from if you Google it was from the Cassini mission. Mm-hmm. So if you to, probably if you Google Cassini photo Earth and Saturn, it'll probably come up or, or Cassini yeah, it, Saturn it, it, Earth. Yeah, I encourage everyone to check that out because that picture is it, we can put the picture in our show notes. Yeah, maybe it's not yeah, copyrighted. Yeah, we'll yeah, put it in the show notes. I think, yeah, I think yeah. NASA released it. Yeah, yeah so definitely, cool. it's 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 breathtaking. Um, oh. But yeah, sorry, more. That's the most beautiful planet for you in the, in the solar system. What else is about it? Yeah, so I think Saturn's got some really funky things going on. It, um, you know, the, the rings get most of the attention, but even the main sort of body or sphere of Saturn has a lot of neat things happening on it. Um, one thing is that at one of Saturn's poles. We see a hexagon pattern, 
What? Yeah, let, let that sink in for a minute. What? what? Yeah. Cthulhu, man-made things on, on Saturn. <laughs> Some yeah, fool pulling a prank all the way over on Saturn, huh? <laughs> and that, that's another, if you want to Google that too, that's another, if you Google hexagon on Saturn, images will come right up. Um, that's nuts. Yeah. And so the, I think the, I mean, the coolest thing about that is just that it's there. Um, but another neat thing is that we're not, again, not entirely sure why. But we've observed it for a while. We first noticed it in the 80s. They noticed it again with the Cassini mission in the 2000s. So it's not like it was a temporary thing. It's um, there. It's just something that, that we don't have yeah. no idea. Okay. Are there any people that are just like Saturn base? There's a base. <laughs> just, yeah. That's it? Like, yeah, yo, there's so, a base of people. Sure, Shit's sure going down on Saturn. Somewhere. We need to... Well, always someone, I'm sure. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in Saturn, it's just like Jupiter where... It's essentially all atmosphere except at its core. So when I say there's a hexagon at one of the poles, I basically mean that the this, this swirling sort of cloud pattern there is hexagonal in shape. Um, and they don't know entirely why it's there. They, they've tried to reproduce it here on Earth in a lab um, with various the, the science called fluid dynamics. And again, it's exactly what the name says. You take a fluid and you study its dynamics or how it moves. And from that, you learn a lot of different things. And uh, they've done various experiments with putting water in a bucket, spinning it at a different rate, or spinning part of the bucket at one rate, and the, maybe the top at one speed, the bottom at another. Just and trying that, to get a hexagon one way or right, the other. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Just trying to get a hexagon. And they've been, a and they've been able to do it. Um, really? They, yeah, they've been able to do it. They've gotten some other funky shape. They've gotten a pentagon. They've got a no weird, um, like a hexagon that... Uh, I don't know how to describe it. it. Sort of bows out on each side a little bit. What? Um, yeah. So, so we we we've shown that, you know, based on your speed, based on your your temperature, you can generate a hexagon shape. But they still don't know exactly what's going on on Saturn. Like the exact Does that matter what side of the equator you're on? So, like, you know, the toilet flushes one way in one time <laughs> in the world, and it flushes the other what? way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what NASA scientists are doing. I'm just asking these They're questions. Just flushing They're just flushing yeah. toilets. Trying to see if a hexagon comes up. I mean, maybe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, I'm yeah, next, next, next time you go, have a, have a look. <laughs> so, so Saturn, what, what are the rings of Saturn? Like, what is it actually made of? Like, what? Yeah, and if you sure. were to put it on its profile, like, lay it down, how thick is it, too? I want to know that, too. Yeah. So, the rings... So, it's funny. The rings... They're very, they're thick in the sense that in places they're many miles high. Miles high, okay. They're thin in the sense that the rings are very, very wide. So the rings are over 100,000 miles wide, kind of the, the diameter of the whole ring. Mm -hmm. So if you, were, if you were to scale that down, so if you brought in the diameter of the rings to be you know, the size of a sheet of paper, it's like 11 inches. If you scaled down the height of the rings or the thickness at the same rate, you'd get something thinner than a piece of paper by the end of it. Uh, you're, you're hurting wow. my head. What, yeah. <laughs> so, it's a weird, so it's a weird thing where like the rings themselves are can be a few miles high and 100,000 miles wide, which, you know, a few miles high sounds pretty tall. But if you think about how wide it is, if you, if you actually were to like... But the ratio, you're down, saying. Right, the ratio of the two, if you were to shrink that down, it's actually quite thin. That's nuts. And what 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 is it made of, actually? Like, what are the rings? The rings do we know how they formed? Yeah, the rings are pretty much just ice particles. 
Um, and they come in different sizes, things that are the size of sand, things that are the size of grapes, and things that are the size of boulders, essentially. And um, the reason that you, the rings show up so well in photos and telescopes is because they're ice, and ice is really reflective. So the rings reflect the light really, really well. Oh, okay. And that's why they look really pretty and brilliant. Um, and you see patterns in the ring, you know, areas where it's a little darker, a little lighter, a little thicker, a little thinner. Um, because the rings actually do have a bit of structure to them. We can sort of map out and say, okay, here's one ring, and then outside of it, here's another ring, and then here's here's a gap where there's not much ice for a while, and then here's another ring. Is that just um, big particles gathering with big particles and small particles gathering with small or something? Yeah, it's, it's, it's some of that, and um, it's also some of that Saturn, so of Saturn's many, many, many moons, some, some of them are actually orbiting around within the rings. Oh, that's going to ask that. Okay, that's cool. Or very, yeah, or, or very, very near the rings. And some of those moons actually have sort of a gravitational effect on the rings, and they help to clear out parts of the parts of the rings. And like, you get, you know, you, you'll get sort of a circular band where maybe there's no, you know, icy particles in it, thanks to a moon being there. Everybody work. Everybody, yeah. yeah even the moons are helping out, huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Oh yeah. Um, is it, what was a, what was that fun fact about Saturn? Um, like it was it the only planet in the solar system that it can float or something. What was it? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Saturn's gaseous. It's made of a lar largely hydrogen and helium, just like Jupiter is. But Saturn is a bit, it's a bit smaller than Jupiter. So it's a bit less dense. And so if you were to take Saturn and put it in a giant, giant bathtub, it would float. Hmm. It's, the only, it's the only planet in the solar system that would do that. The, Earth, other rocky planets were way too dense. We would sink. Um, Uranus and Neptune, they're also gaseous, but they have other heavier elements in them, like ammonia and methane, making them again too dense. Uh, but Saturn, Saturn would float. You see, I heard this analogy before, but I'm more curious about who would make this bathtub <laughs> to play Saturn in. Like, that's a huge bathtub. I think I that'd be impressive. Bathtub. I was <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, let's go on. The galaxy's <laughs> greatest hot tub. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> For the ga galaxy's most beautiful planet, at least in this solar system. I'm going to introduce this next planet like properly, but I figured Justin wants to introduce this next planet instead. So, yeah. your anus. There you go. Thank you. Or as Futurama corrected it to, what, was, what did they do? Your rectum. Your rectum. <laughs> In the future, they change it to your rectum. Um, what's going on with Uranus? I mean, Uranus. Yeah. Well, believe me, I have, I'm like, I've now schooled myself to always call it Uranus because I've given so many presentations to people of all, people of all ages. And I'm like, I'm just, yeah, my, my, I'm just like, I'm just going to avoid the reaction altogether. <laughs> That's a, it's a smart play, except yeah. you got Justin on air with you right now. So it's not going to yeah, work too bad. Deal with it. <laughs> Deal with butthole jokes. It's smart. It's a smart. It's a smart move when you're in college giving presentations and all your friends are in the audience being obscene. Oh yeah. <laughs> you, have, you have to keep a straight, you have to keep a straight face while they're sitting right behind your professors. <laughs> Best friends. I'll ever. be that friend for you anytime. <laughs> <laughs> so Uranus, let's hear some stuff about Uranus. So do you guys know how many planets have rings? Two, three, nope. three, nope. four, nope. one. Yes, four. <laughs> four. Four of them do. Yep. There you go. And so, so Jupiter actually has rings. But are we? Can we not see them with the telescope? Or can you can see them with the telescope? They're just very, very faint. So you couldn't. 
a, a telescope that you might buy in like a, you know, photography store would, wouldn't be able to see them. Um, but a more powerful telescope could, like a, like a NASA telescope could. Um, like, like all the big you, ones that we can't use? Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. And Uranus is another one that has rings as well, which is crazy because, again, we don't, we don't really see them much. Um, but we discovered them in, in the 70s and in the Voyager missions, um, in the 80s, and then the second round of Voyager missions, we saw them again. Hubble seen them again. Um, and the rings on Uranus actually extend out. They also extend out about, uh, oh, you know, I keep, I keep, I keep, I think in kilometers, and I'm trying to say the Oh, no, go and say it, please. <laughs> it's all about good. About 100,000 kilometers out. Is, uh, right, the center I, of the planet. Is Uranus's rings uh, similar to Saturn's? And same, yeah. I guess, to Jupiter, I guess, in that sense? Yeah, yeah, they are They are similar. Um, they, the rings, they're, they're icy. They don't seem to be as much ice in them as Saturn. It also looks like there's some other different compounds in them. Mm-hmm. Um, the neat thing is that we think some of those compounds are organic. And Really? Yeah, and, and, the, and the cool thing about that is that when organic compounds are exposed to radiation... They can change color. Hmm. So we think some of those have gotten darker over time because of the radiation, which is why the rings are not as visible. That they're basically just, they've, they've, they've been radiated and they're now darker and less reflective. I never knew that. That's hmm. Yeah. That's really, wow. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I gotta Good say. Good job, Thank, thank Good you. Good job. Did I disappoint you? Just no, a little bit? Just, I mean. I'm just, not even? I won't eat dinner with you tonight. All right. <laughs> All right, then I then I hit my quota. I'm okay. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have to deal with me for dinner. <laughs> All right, awesome. Um, that's actually that's fascinating. I did not know you can actually tell like changes like that. Other than where uh, we've been tracking that at least. That's yeah. Wow. Okay. And then, is there anything else you'd like to say about Uranus? I think Uranus. I mean, it's it's got 27 moons. 27 moons. 27 moons. Yeah. Hey, why did we get why did we get gypped? on earth yeah. like tell tell me that does that have anything to do with us having like a crazy atmosphere where why we can did we get and... gypped on earth okay <laughs> i want a couple more moons i don't know maybe 60 is a good number <laughs> yeah i mean i think we we don't the, the trying to plot out models like how the solar system formed is definitely one of their top priorities right now one of the biggest challenges mm-hmm. and so we don't know exactly why earth ended up with only one and you know, Mars got two, and Jupiter and Saturn got 60-some. Um, it probably has to do with the fact that those were bigger planets and attracting more material, so they got more moons. Oh, that makes sense. Well, actually, just to piggyback on that, like, you're saying, like, four planets that have a ring around them. Like, is there any uh, observations or evidence of a rocky planet having a ring anywhere? I, I don't know about outside of our solar system. In our solar system, no. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. All right. Uranus. Yeah. I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying uh, to see if I have any other questions about Uranus before we move on. Nah. Let's hit Neptune. You want to go to Neptune? Let's do it. All right. So, hey, Jacqueline, what's going on with Neptune? <laughs> <laughs> and I think, and also, I mean, Uranus and Neptune are also just super pretty. Like with the blue, you know, they have, they have that nice, that nice blue hue to them, uh, which, um, Hell you yeah. can you again you, you there you can't really observe them with like a telescope from a photography store. You need a more powerful telescope. Um, Why do you hate yeah. photography stores? 
<laughs> Excuse me, NASA. Uh, why do you hate photography stores? Yeah. Thank you. NASA should open up a photography store and get. I think it's a sensor too on the cameras. Like uh, cameras, like DSLRs, they have like a CMOS sensor, and then I think uh, telescopes or whatever they use to take some stuff. Whether it, it, I forgot what it's called, like a uh, Canon has a specific camera for astrophotography. And it, does, yeah. it, it doesn't have a CMOS sensor in there. It has, like, whatever you need to have. I forgot what it's called. Someone's going to say it, find out what it is. But, yeah. Um, enough about me. More about Neptune. Jacqueline? <laughs> so, Ju- so Jupiter had a great red spot, and Neptune has a great dark spot. Dark spot? Like, legit black or what? Like a navy. <laughs> Na- navy? Okay. Is yeah. this because of gases, or is this something on the planet's surface? Yeah, so, so it's probably similar to what we saw in Jupiter, which is another, like, stormy system. Um, the other, though, the neat thing, though, is that uh, we don't see it anymore. So we saw it for a period of, like, a decade, and we no longer see it now. When were we able to observe it? We saw it with the Voyager mission, so that was in the, the 70s, 80s. Um, and then I think in 1994-ish, Hubble looked at Neptune and did not see it. Not just because it like was on a different side facing us; it's just not there right. anymore. It's just right. gone. Exactly. Like, right, like the, the storm kind of like on Earth, like the hurricane dissipated, like the storm went away. It just pieced out. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> That's just creepy. Do you think we'll be a lot, or in our lifetime, we'll see Jupiter's storm piece out? No way. No. Yeah. I mean, 1660. That's that's quite that's quite the the run it's got. I mean, Neptune like that storm's kind of like one day. Yeah, I'll see you again. I think that thing is that thing is here to stay. <laughs> My day will come. <laughs> um, that's crazy. Anything else about Neptune? Like, just I had no idea about that black spot. Yeah, Neptune. And Neptune's got another cool moon. Ne- Neptune has many moons too, but its its biggest one by far is named Triton. Triton. And Triton's one of the another one of those moons that also has some geysers on the surface. It, it's, it's geologically active. It's it's spewing out nitrogen in, into the atmosphere. This is uh, what I mistook earlier for G, one of Jupiter's moons, and yeah, I apologize. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a few moons that do that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Triton's one of them. It's got it's got a lot of fun activity on the surface. It's got geysers. We think it has sort of like water ammonia volcanoes on the surface. Basically, it's 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 throwing up essentially. So why isn't uh, Triton um, as interesting or more interesting than Europa? It probably is. I think the the Europa is closer to us, mm-hmm. so it makes it easier it's to more get. More viable. Yeah, it makes it easier to get to. Um, it's we. We know a bit more. We've observed it a bit more. We know a bit more about it. So I think we're a bit more confident with it. Got it. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a couple, couple ja- reasons there. Jacqueline, I highly recommend you check out that movie, Europa Report. Oh, yeah. No, you, you, you definitely need to see that movie for someone who wrote a thesis <laughs> on Europa. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm just, then you can come back and tell us everything that was wrong with that yeah, movie and oh, how ridiculous it was. So awesome if you did that. <laughs> uh, so Neptune, back on track. Uh, unless you have something else about Neptune, I want to talk about. And, ne- old, and, ne- and Neptune's got rings too. Neptune's got rings too. Same uh, composition, same things it's made of. Uh, yes, yeah, sim- similar to Uranus, Neptune's rings also have a lot of dust in them. Mm-hmm. So the rings on Neptune are much more spread out. Like they're very um. It almost looks like if you laid a rubber band around Neptune and then a bigger one around that, a bigger one. There's a lot of gaps between the rings. Oh, interesting. Uh, and it's a lot of dust. Okay. 
Yeah. Let's talk about a politically hot topic. <laughs> uh, let's, let's talk about Pluto. Ah, so we're, we're off the planet. More. I mean, yeah, we're technically off the planet. I mean, if, if that's Sorry. if that's your uh, frame of reference, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Jacqueline. <laughs> so, yeah, let's talk about Pluto and how it's fallen from grace and all that good jazz. Uh, for, I, I'm, a, I'm guessing, based off your comment, that you're on the camp. Pluto's not a planet. I am. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of it being a dwarf planet. So uh, you're being a what? Sorry. So the so the official term for Pluto now is a dwarf planet. Okay, a dwarf planet. Yeah, but mm-hmm. still a planet <laughs> is what it sounds like. Justin, to me. are you on camp Pluto's a planet? I'm on camp of listening to as many scientists and people that know more than me as possible. It's, okay, but it's, I just heard somebody say <laughs> that it's a dwarf planet. It's a dwarf. So. You're just trying to instigate. It's a good yeah. thing we have just yeah. Jacqueline on with us right now, because if we had a couple different people... I'm just trying to pick a fight. You're just trying to pick a fight. You're just trying to, like... I appreciate it. Tell me what to think, Jacqueline. Yeah, and I, well, I think that the cool thing about this topic, and this is probably my favorite topic to like lecture on, especially with kids, I think the cool thing about it is that it's still really hotly contested. You know, it's, if, if you ask professional scientists, you'll get a very 50-50 split in mm-hmm. answers. It's a very active field of research. There's a mission at Pluto right now, the New Horizons mission. We, we launched it in 06. And um, in, uh, I, guess, I guess last year, so July 2015, the spacecraft, it's not landing on Pluto. It's not orbiting it. It's just flying by it. So it's just, you know, just a drive-by, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> it's just flying by Pluto. But it, it, it flew by Pluto in, in uh, July 2015, so we're getting all the data back now. We've gotten back some amazing pictures and data and all kinds of stuff. Um, we're still getting data that we're going through. Still are we? getting data, yeah. That's nuts, and I too. think it's, it's a really, you know, it's an interesting topic in planetary science because although we're, all, we're always learning more about, you know, every area of astronomy, you know, we're really learning a lot more about Pluto right now. Like, it's it's a peak in terms of our, our knowledge about Pluto. Um, and I think it, it's fun for uh, kids to study because, you know, whatever they're learning now in school, chances are will be different in five years. And um, I, I always tell them that the, the, so when NASA plans their missions, they, like I said before, they, they conceive a mission. And then by the time it gets approved, they build the ship, they plot all the orbits and they actually launch it. It can easily be 10, 20 years later. And from then, getting approval for the mission to actually launching. Is that what you're saying? Like 10 yeah, years? Yeah. From, from, from conceiving it, you know, from, from mm-hmm. the day you get a bunch of people in the room that say, let's have a mission that does X to the actual launch. It can easily be 10, 20 years. And then if you're traveling as far as Pluto, it, it took us nine years to get the spacecraft to Pluto. So that's another 10 years. And then nine if, you years. Get, if you get all the data back in a year or two, you want to spend if you get it back. Years. Is if that how long date, data takes to get from the Pluto to us? Just sending it to us? Yeah, so, it, so from a from a Pluto to us, I think it takes a few hours. So, so data, it, it travels at the speed of light. So they're essentially just beaming back information. Okay, so we're not waiting months to get, like, one signal back from there. The signal's pretty I, quick. And the, with yeah. the Well, hold on. I want to interject there. It's quick, speed of light, but we're at that distance. Like, for example, I, know, I, I, I don't know why I know this, but Jupiter, I think, like, it takes, like, light from Jupiter to hit Earth like 37 minutes or something like that. Like it does need take time to travel in between like over to Mars. I think they take uh like it takes 20 minutes for them to send a command to the Curiosity rover to do an action. 
like back and forth. That's one way. Twenty minutes one way. Twenty minutes back. Am I BSing right now, or Jacqueline? Did you... No, 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 no. You're right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please, please interject here, because I, I, if I'm talking about this, I, I then I'm pretty sure no, everyone's doing this. Yeah. So we'll 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 have all the data back from Pluto. You know, th- this this year we'll we'll have everything back from it. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely it's not it's not instantaneous. It does take some time. Um. But considering Pluto so far away, that's pretty good. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, we're yeah. we're just dictated by the speed of light. That's all. Nothing big. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. But um, but yeah. So so by the uh, by the time we get all the data back, it's another couple years, and then by the time we've analyzed it, that can easily be another decade. So you can be looking at the span of something that's like forty years in the making. And so uh, for the, for for this mission to Pluto, which is called the New Horizons mission. It was it was on average, I think, the youngest sort of mission team that NASA's ever had, because you need people that, or you want people that, by the time they're analyzing the data, you want some of the original mission people, and you want you want them to be, you know, not retired and, and still alive, alive. still <laughs> alive yeah. when they get oh. dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, wait a minute. So, like, what you're telling me? There's people on these missions twenty plus years. Yeah. So, I mean. What benefits package does NASA give these guys? Like, what's the retention rate? Like, turnover? Oh. Like, people are yeah. down to stay, spend twenty years of their lives on a single mission like this, or yeah. you know, a lot of it overlaps. So, like, if you're if you're the mission director for a mission, you might ha- you, you probably have jobs on other missions as well. Okay. And you uh, you know you'll you'll play your part on them as well, maybe help out, and then when when your mission is launching, you might be on one mission exclusively 24 seven. Um, so they definitely do other things in the meantime. Yeah. But Cause yeah, it seems like on the, on the way there, your day to day is like, well, back in the office, we're still on our way to Pluto. <laughs> right. All right. Yeah, time exactly. to take a lunch break. Oh, come on, Jim. Anything new going on in the office? Come on. You're still traveling, huh? You watching game of Thrones? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I want to ask this question. Why is Pluto not considered a planet but it's considered a dwarf planet like what's the definition that everyone's hanging up on or yeah that's what i wanted to get to yeah the definition yeah so so there's a kind of like like a governing body for astronomy definitions and rules and laws called the international astronomical union the iau whoa sorry that i dropped a pen when you said that say that again (laughs) like that's that just sounds really long for no reason kind of governing body that uh, dictates astronomy, official astronomy definitions, and th- they approve the names of newly discovered objects. And that group is called the IAU, the International Astronomical Union. That's and, deep. Uh, they're they're located in Europe. They usually meet in Europe, but it's an international group. And uh, so when so they they have an annual meeting every year, I think, and I'm sure plenty in between. And uh, when they and, and the people that sit on that union are various scientists, professors, and people that sort of work, you know, in their day job in astrophysics. So I can't join this union, is what you're saying? You can try. You, if you get if you get in, take me with you. Ideal, Justin. Yeah. Never but, uh, stop believing. Keep going. <laughs> Thanks, you should guys. apply. Thanks for believing and, in and me. And take Jacqueline with you. <laughs> I. Is, they uh, they met and and they did they debate topics in astronomy and different things and current events. And so when they met in 2006, it was around the time when we had been discovering objects in our solar system that were, that were, some of them were around the area where Pluto was and similar to Pluto's size, if not larger. 
we were also discovering other objects in the asteroid belt, which is a band of asteroids in our solar system that's between Mars and Jupiter. That's a, that's a, uh, yeah, sorry. It's a uh, sort of outside, outside of Mars. So it's like between, like not necessarily between, but it's, if you were traveling between like past Mars is somewhere between Mars and Jupiter. Is that where it's at? Yeah. Yeah. So, so they, um, so they, uh, when, when they, when they, uh, discovered, yeah, outside outside of Mars and between between Mars and Jupiter, it's sort of a thick. It's almost like see, I don't want to give this analogy because it's not true because it's it's a thick band of asteroids and there's a ton of them in there, and I think a lot of people think of it like like on Star Trek and like driving they're like flying through the minefields, you know? Like it's like oh, watch yeah. out for that, watch out for that. Yeah, exactly. It's not. It's you know, there, there's thousands of miles between each one, so there's plenty of space. <laughs> so that's but, completely overblown in Hollywood. <laughs> Yeah, but it's still cool. <laughs> so you're telling me like there's no way you're gonna be like I'm gonna run into that asteroid or I'm gonna run into that. It's just like oh, oh it's like oh it's over it's way down there. We gotta <laughs> we gotta avoid that at some point. Han Solo's got skills, and I'm not even gonna debate that. I mean, yeah. so. just no one's talking about Han Solo's skills. <laughs> Obviously, he has skills. Okay, <laughs> wait a second. I I have to ask something. It seems like okay. So these guys met, and they're like, hey. We found a bunch of stuff that's bigger than Pluto. Instead of naming them all planets, let's just take away Pluto's status as a planet. Then we don't have to name all these other big things planets. Am I right? <laughs> Can I get a hallelujah? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say you're half right. <laughs> that's been my life. All right, cool. We're good. We'll correct him, Jacqueline. What, where is he wrong? So they, so they, they did definitely find objects that were bigger in Pluto and did think, well, gee, should we call these a planet? But I feel like they got to a point where a lot of them said, you know, we, we could call these things a planet or maybe we need to narrow our definition of a planet because maybe maybe it's not that useful a definition anymore if we're finding a ton of other stuff that fits in it. Right, okay. Maybe, maybe we can be more specific. Maybe we can be, you know, it's, it's kind of like in biology when they discover new, you know, what is that like kingdom phylum species all those things you know they kind of they come all, up with taxonomy and narrow it down all of those things that i couldn't remember when i was in high school yeah exactly oh, yeah. biologist exactly <laughs> it's kind of the same thing and i feel like astronomy you know biologists have been fairly good about coming up with a system for the for classifying things and I, and astronomy hasn't always been as rigid with it and so when this when the international when this iau the union met I think it was 2006, they sort of realized, you know, gee, we don't really have a definition for a planet. <laughs> we've kind of, we've kind of been working off a you'll know it when you see it model mm -hmm. and basing it off of what we know, but we don't really have a written, defined, agreed upon definition. Hmm. And although, although I'd say the current one is not really agreed upon fully, <laughs> it's definitely a lot of people that contest it. They now do have a three part definition for a planet. And what is that? Do you know that? Yeah, so a planet has to sort of meet three criteria. It has to orbit a star. Which check. check. Yep, exactly. But but it it itself can't be a star or satellite. So like you can't have a if a star is orbiting another star, that's not a planet. You know, we we launch satellites to orbit the sun all the time, but that, that doesn't count. Would you just to clarify, would you consider a moon a satellite in that definition? Yes. Okay. Keep going. Yeah, because a moon we orbiting a planet first, first and foremost, then then a star. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, so the second definition is that the second criteria is that 
it has to have. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this, but I'm gonna go back and explain it. It, okay. has, it has to have sufficient mass for its own gravity to give it a round shape. So what that means is that if you have a thing floating around in space, and over time, over billions of years, it's sort of gaining in mass. Chance, but it's not that big. Chances are it will end up looking like a potato, kind of like an asteroid. Right. It'll be this kind of funkily shaped thing. It won't be all round and pretty and spherical. But if you have that thing and it starts accumulating more matter and more mass, eventually it gets big enough where it starts rotating. And once it and, and the potatoes can rotate too, but essentially <laughs> once once it gets once it gets big enough, basically its own gravity turns it into a sphere-like shape. So cool. Okay, so that's two checks for Pluto right there, right? That's two checks for Pluto, yep. Mm. And that's the reason why asteroids are not considered planets. Right. Asteroids tend to be more potato-like in shape. <laughs> and the third criteria, <laughs> and this is the one that they said Pluto failed, and the third criteria is that you have to have cleared the neighborhood around your orbit. And what that means is so if you if you were to look at Earth going around the sun, you kind of follow it around, Earth is the dominant object in its path. Yes, we have our moon. That's kind of, you know, almost like a dog on a leash, you know, circling around us. It's, it's always going to stick with us. But we're clearly the dominant object in our path. You know, the, the moon is orbiting around us. You know, we, we, we're, we're controlling that situation. Mm-hmm. So is Pluto bumping into a bunch of stuff up there? Or? So Pluto isn't bumping into anything, but Pluto's, Pluto, uh, Pluto has a few moons, but it's, its biggest moon, Sharon, is a li- it's only a tiny bit smaller than Pluto, such that the two actually orbit around each other. They they orbit Ooh. around a point between the two. So Plu- so Sharon does not entirely orbit around Pluto. Pluto and Sharon sort of orbit around a point between each other. Ooh. You can easily you can easily argue that Pluto hasn't really cleared the neighborhood around its orbit. That there's another object. Another you know. contender. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. serious. Serious. Okay, that that makes sense to me. Why Pluto would not be a planet if it's up there, you know, orbiting around something else close yeah. to it. But and it's, not, and, it, and it's contested. I mean, there's um, if you if you uh look at so so Jupiter for instance, you know, the asteroid belt is right near Jupiter. There are also some asteroids that that follow Jupiter around in its orbit, like 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 a dog on a leash, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's plenty of scientists that say, well, hey. There's all these asteroids in Jupiter's path. You know, Jupiter hasn't cleared its area. What about all those asteroids? Um, hmm. And people might tout back and say, well, Jupiter's still much bigger. It's still, it, it, its presence is what's causing the asteroids to be there. Um, and then they go back and forth and back and forth. And I'd say scientists, you know, it's a pretty even amount that fall on either side of either, either camp. Yeah. Jupiter controls the asteroids. They don't control Jupiter. <laughs> I mean, we have to thank Jupiter for that. They take a lot of uh, debris for us. Or take yeah, some, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, so dwarf planets, is there any other dwarf planets that we've discovered like around, like beyond Pluto that, that are in our solar system? Yeah. So we, so we've discovered a few, so right, right now we've labeled five objects as dwarf planets. Um, one that's in the asteroid belt and that's called Ceres. And so Ceres, although it's in the asteroid belt, it is spherical in shape, and it has, you know, th- there is some space around where it's orbiting. Or, sorry, there, um, there's not not space around where it's orbiting. It, it, it's it's spherical in shape, but it's in the asteroid belt, so there there isn't much space around where it's orbiting. Hmm. Um, 
call that a dwarf planet. And then beyond Pluto, we've identified three other objects which we've also called dwarf planets. Wow. We, so, right, so right now we've got eight planets and five dwarf planets. We don't teach that at school. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, wow. Okay. I didn't even realize that. Okay, cool. Uh, so... Before we, we're going to start wrapping up here. We've been talking for this has been our longest, the one, longest for episode. Sure. But for you know, sure. it's so cool. And Jacqueline, you've been awesome just explaining everything. Thank you. We have uh, just a handful more questions for you, and then you can go on with your life and forget you've ever been <laughs> on the show. Um, what's next? Like, what are we trying to find out now? With you know, and as far as planetary sciences, like I know we just did, uh, we sent Juno over to a mission to Jupiter, orbiting Jupiter. Yeah. It took like five years to get to, or. Something like that. Like, what's going on? Yeah, so I think a lot of... So I think, you know, in, in the 70s and 80s and even 90s, a lot of the planetary missions were focused on just finding out about the planets and other objects, you know, getting getting good pictures, getting good data. We didn't really know what these things looked like, what they behaved like. And I think now that we've gotten a bit better at that, we've been focusing a lot more on origin stories. Mm-hmm. Like where did where did these objects come from? How did they form? You know, now now that we know that it's red, why is it red? Now that we know that it's the biggest planet, why why is it the biggest planet? Why was the biggest planet located here and not in this other part of the solar system? Um, so I think a lot of the planetary mission and, and Juno definitely has this focus too. Um, is really finding out about those origin stories. You know, we yes, we still want great pictures. And good maps and all those kinds of things, but for for most of the planets, for for all the planets now, we, we have fairly decent pictures. Um, so I think they're they're really focusing a lot on kind of what's you know hit, hidden beneath the surface, so to speak. Hmm. Yeah. All right, that's wow. This everything you're talking about is blowing my mind. I was just like, <laughs> do I write this question down for later? No, 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 it's not enough time. <laughs> <laughs> so no, no, no. Um, I'm going to throw out some random questions for you real quick, just to, because we're, we're at the end of this episode and we really need to sign off. <laughs> but like, uh, let's just, uh, I want to, I need to ask these questions. So interstellar, I, I just, that movie with, uh, you know, uh, wow, I forgot his name already. Matthew McConaughey, uh, <laughs> and Hathaway, uh, in that movie, they have like, they travel to another galaxy, right? Through a wormhole. This, and, they oh spoiler alert by the way if anyone hasn't seen the movie that's been out for a couple of years now uh, <laughs> they go to another <laughs> galaxy and they're visiting these planets with like these extreme type ecosystems I don't know what you want to call these but like uh, these planets are orbiting a black hole is that possible? <laughs> so it all it depends on the black hole essentially the- it de- depends on the black hole it depends on some other things so on. On, on Earth, you know, we, we we live because we get we get light from the sun and energy, and it makes all our plant life and you know helps us to live. So, in terms of life, you know, as, as far as far as we know, maybe we're wrong, but as far as we know, you need some sort of light source mm-hmm. to you know sustain you. Um, mm-hmm. So, orbiting around a black hole, you you might not have any light source ne- nearby you continuously. Um, if in theory, could could you be exactly at the right distance from a black hole where you're orbiting it, but not going to fall into it? That might be possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just you really have to be careful about where you're located because if you're too close, you will fall right into that thing, 
and there you go. <laughs> Did you find anything wrong with that movie uh, in regards to like the massive waves they had on like that one planet? Like I think they had waves that are as high as mountains or something like that. Like I think, see, it's, I'd say no because I think it's it's not something we've seen everywhere and it's not something we've proven. But I feel like if I feel like we'd be ignorant to say that it, it could never be the case. You know. Fascinating. Yeah, like I think it's it's one of those things where we maybe we we can't theorize it yet or we can't model it yet, but um, you know, but there 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 was a time when we thought the you know the sun revolved around the earth. So. So then you have to be believe in aliens then. I mean that that's a jump. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that's a what? No, no, I'm kidding. I said that's a jump. I said no. I I, I mean per- personally, I, I do I do think that eventually we'll find some other life form. I don't know that it will happen anytime soon, right. but just statistically, something's got to be out there. You might want to. Yeah, say- I think we'll get there, and I, and I think we'll find our definition of life is too narrow, and we'll turn everything up on its head, and we'll freak yeah, out. Yeah, gas yeah. people. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Finding gas people, like in Rick and Morty, <laughs> like that whole gas. Yeah. yeah, and then also like even Star Trek. I think they had a couple episodes where like. Or at least one episode where there's like a, a they go into this gas cloud like it's actually they had a movie about it. it's like it's conscience yeah like like it has like yeah. it was a huge nucleus like, yeah uh, like or something okay yeah that's gnarly yeah totally <laughs> yeah exactly exactly like, I, I think stuff you know s- stuff like that although we we don't have any evidence for it now I I don't see you know I I I would never say that that's impossible <laughs> okay so I we I think we have some like one last question or. Sure. Yeah. So let's floor to Justin. Okay. So, lasties here. What's your What's your favorite planet, and what's your least favorite planet, and why? It doesn't have to be in the solar system. It doesn't have, if you don't want it to yeah. be. But I think mm. you know the most about the solar system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, my, my favorite's probably Saturn. Um, I do think. I mean, purely one one. I do think it's the prettiest. <laughs> and, and then uh, <laughs> two, just just having. Having shown so many people what it looks like through a telescope, I think seeing their reactions has kind of influenced my own. Yeah, yeah, getting people excited, like the one that gets people excited about it, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the people. I mean, so, so. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not just talking one or two. I mean, so many people have started crying when they've seen it. Crying? Yeah. Wow. Oh, so many. That powerful, huh? Dozens and dozens of people. Yeah. So, be, so be honest, many. Jacqueline. Was it you each one of those times? Were you crying? I, I, I was definitely one of them. Oh, all okay. <laughs> it was a group th- yeah. session type thing. Like, yeah, exactly. So yeah. beautiful. Oh, I was laying on a couch awesome. looking up at the stars. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So I think that, you know, that has definitely influenced my opinion a bit. Um, least favorite. Oh, God. <laughs> The hard-hitting questions here. No, I don't know that I've ever even thought You know, of. that planet nobody wants to go to. <laughs> maybe, maybe Mercury, just because I feel like I I find it the least interesting, which I hate saying, but I think it's... Tisk tisk. Yeah, probably Mercury. It's, the temperature thing is cool, and it's got some other cool things, um, but... Is it because you don't feel that there's much more knowledge to be gained from exploring that planet versus no, I mean, other I'm, ones? No, I'm sure that I'm sure there's plenty on it. But uh yeah, I think just 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 feature wise, I think I I the, the weather on Venus makes it exciting, Jupiter's atmosphere makes it exciting, you know. Um 
Uranus and Neptune, I think, because they're gaseous and still fairly unknown, makes them exciting. And of course, I'm not I'm not going to say my own planet. Um, <laughs> but, so so that, that, that leaves place. Mercury as, as as the run to the litter for me. Man, even someplace as dangerous as Venus, you you like all right, cool. Yeah, cool. No, all right, so all right, um, Jacqueline. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming out here Thank and doing this. Like this, like literally time has flown by, even though it's been the longest episode to this point time-wise that we've recorded. I mean, I honestly could go on with more questions, oh, but... without a doubt. We were cutting <laughs> things short just because we, we <laughs> so didn't time. keep droning on. Um, but, you know, you're super cool of you to take the time out of uh, your schedule to be on the show, and we appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, please, please continue doing all the outreach you can do. Because it's an important uh, thing that you're doing. Um, where can uh, people find you online? Like uh, stuff that you're working on, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so I'm so I'm kind of lame, and I, I've I, I do give some lectures around various museums, institutions, schools, and I've I've toyed with making a website for myself, but I still haven't yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one place I can tell you to go for for now, at least, is um a astronomy group that I used to be on the board of directors of and I still partner with them a lot and they definitely help cultivate my interest in astronomy is called the Amateur Astronomers Association of New York it is aaa.org is the website so aaa.org okay aaa.com is the automobile association <laughs> yeah, people will figure out real quick if they went to the wrong place <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah and aaa.org is us and um so we do we sort of a multifold mission just to bring astronomy out to the world. If you, if you ever visit New York city and you see people with telescopes on the street that are really friendly and inviting you to look through, it's one of our people. That's That's awesome. Awesome. So don't be afraid of them. That's, no, okay, no, yeah, cool. don't, no, don't, don't run away. That's really awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Do you ever do stuff yeah. out here in California? Um, I, I, I don't, I don't think I have, I would gladly. <laughs> well I'll, I'll connect you with some people i know um well jacqueline thank you so much for being on the show again really appreciate it and uh maybe we'll have you on again if you're yeah, down too. awesome well that's it for this episode and we will catch you next time thanks jacqueline sure thank you thank you bye thank you that was a super long episode everyone if you stuck with us this long i commend you that was great now, for me, that that two hours flew by way too quick. You're now in the special friends club. <laughs> Thank you, I think. Uh, anyways, <laughs> uh, guys, uh, Jacqueline does some really cool stuff. She helps people uh, get to know more about these things through outreach. So if you ever in the area, you're looking up for educational seminars, look up her name, go by and say, hey, we heard you talking on the interesting hour. You're awesome because she is. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, Justin, anything you want to add? And for like, why do you feel about this episode? Oh man, it was, yeah, it was like being a kid again, you know, learning about all that stuff and just to be able to ask whatever questions, no matter how stupid they may be (laughs) to somebody that really knows the answers was amazing. Yeah. I hope we get to have more guests like her in the future. Yeah. And you know, it was funny because like before we posted this episode, we were debating whether or not to split this episode into two different episodes because the show is called the interesting hour, but you know, ultimately we were saying like in the spirit of podcasting and just conversation we had to keep posted as in, in, in its entirety so yeah I hope we everyone... could have split it up and milked an extra week of content out of it but yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's not how we roll it's cool i hope everyone enjoyed it and uh i hope you guys learned a thing or two so uh now that's the end of the episode we will uh you know 
we'll take some time with our sponsors. So uh, <laughs> a special thanks to Chuck Levins, right, Justin? Chuck Levins. Yeah, Chuck Levins. For all your audio needs, visit chucklevins.com. Love you guys. <laughs> this little love letter that you always put together. <laughs> um, and also Core Foundation. Core Foundation is a multi-million nonprofit. Check us out at cor-foundation.org. Subscribe, buy some shirts for you and your loved ones. Uh, donate. It helps us out and make cool content like today's episode. And we want to keep making cool stuff like that for you. So thank you guys. Uh, check us out. And uh, tune in next week on The Interesting Hour. We have some cool new guests. And also find us on social media. Where are we at, Justin? We're on Instagram and Twitter at The I Hour. And on Facebook at The Interesting Hour. Yeah, yeah. Check us out. Subscribe. Uh, leave comments. And uh, we totally appreciate everything you guys are saying on iTunes. Uh, you guys are awesome. We're hearing feedback. We're, we are listening. And we are taking it all in. And uh, we're all going to make the show better for you guys. So yeah. uh, thank you. Keep them coming. And it really helps us out, especially now at the beginning of the show. Yep. And uh, if you have any suggestions for topics, let us know. We'll do it. Hey, man. I'm, I'm down to learn about anything. What about you? Yeah. yeah. Whatever. All right. Well, anyways, guys, check us out next week. Uh, we'll see you then. We love you. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.